Yes, Billy Batson. You may indeed have a new movie coming out within two weeks, but no one knows who you are as a character or what your character's comic book history is. <laughs> Holy moly! Dr. Zavanna's right! There's only one thing to do about this. Shazam! And now here's a little story about my history. Me, Shazam! Darn it! Shazam! time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny. You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know? Why don't you know y'all just say something nice? Showtime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. This is Brandon. And this is an episode on the history of Shazam, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, and his Shazam, a.k.a. Marvel family. This is a revised version. Think of it like a second edition of like a book of episode number 238, Shazam, the Trials and Tribulations of the World's Mightiest Mortal. It's been revised. Corrections have been made. Things that we found were slightly incorrect facts and everything. Some new additions have been made as far as new information that's become out from research in the last couple of years since people are looking more into Shazam things now that the movie is coming out. I'm actually recording this the day, bef- the day before the Fandango Early Access screenings on March the 23rd. So people will be paying for the movie for the first time. And so we thought it might be a great idea to have, you know, a primer for people who aren't familiar with Shazam because the character is, he's become kind of obscure over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Even though, you know, go way back, he was the most popular comic book character of the 1940s. He even outsold Superman. That is an actual fact. You'll learn that and so much more about Captain Marvel, his creator, C.C. Beck. Well, DC's Fawcett's Captain Marvel, not DC's Captain Marvel, not DC's Shazam, not Marvel's Captain Marvel, be that Marvel or Carol Danvers or Monica Rambeau. We'll discuss how that sticky situation of name and trademark rights, how that all happened. The fight between Captain Marvel and Superman that happened not in the comics, but in federal court in the 1940s and 50s. You know, how Shazam as a brand has fared at DC, which has kind of been up and down. And how this movie came about, which wasn't all of a sudden sort of a thing when the Warner Brothers started playing in the DCEU. It's not even actually a Warner Brothers movie. And Warner Brothers didn't start the development of this project that's actually being made. We'll discuss all of that and more in this revised and updated version of our episode on the history of... Shazam! Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Brandon. This is Kendrick. This is Ali. And that and was that me is... pouring wine by accident. Don't pour it on the laptop. <laughs> and this is the Say Something Nice podcast. 
Have you ever gotten anything looking into your laptop before? No. I think I got one drop of one thing one time and nearly fell over. I mean, I mean, other than some turkey juice every once in a while. <laughs> Not in the laptop. My goodness, that was that was in the desktop, but that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. So. We are here today because uh, next Monday, not necessarily Warner Brothers, but New Line Cinema, a division of Warner Brothers, will begin production on a film adaptation of Shazam, which will be uh, actually the first movie set in the DC Comics Senate universe that is not featuring a character that DC Comics themselves created. Once upon a time, way back in 1939, 1940, uh, with... <laughs> One magic word, writer Bill Parker and artist C.C. Beck created a superhero named Captain Marvel. And he, his young alter ego, Billy Batson, and Billy Batson's friends, Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr., actually dominated the comic book market during the early and mid-1940s. And the Captain Marvel comic book, Captain Marvel Adventures, was the most popular comic book of that era, even outselling Superman. But now, after a steady round of lawsuits, acquisitions, trademark conflicts, and let's just say um, <laughs> uh, spotty reboots, now nobody knows who Captain Marvel, now known as Shazam, even is anymore. However, because Justice League did what it did, and then, you know, BVS, the Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman is basically all the hope that DC more or less had. DC fans have to look towards Aquaman and Shazam as their hopes for the possibility of basically saving the DC extended universe. And so what we're going to do today is have a little discussion about the history of the Shazam property, how it went from being the most popular comic book on the stands to basically almost to nothing. Whether or not any of the reboots actually did work that DC did once they acquired it, and what the movie would be like as they begin production on a film that I swore they were never actually going to make. You at one point you were just hoping they didn't because you knew they were going to fuck it up. Yes, that's very true. Uh, after uh, BV after BVS, I was like, "Well, they gonna fuck this shit up." Oh my god, I don't be bad about it. Uh, so before we begin that, I should probably say because you know. If you guys listen to this show long enough, you know that the Shazam family, those are my favorite comic book characters. And I should probably, I guess, go into the like the history of why a little really quick. I mean, it's it's simple. When I was a little boy, I guess I had to be about 11. My mom bought me a subscription to Superman and Batman magazine. I don't know, Kendrick, do you ever read that? No, never heard of it. It was a magazine aimed at kids that took the designs from the Batman animated series and basically it was sort of kind of, you know, it was basically a marketing tool for DC Comics. Yeah. They would have a Superman story. It was, I believe it was semi-monthly. It was like basically like six issues a year. And so one issue would be a Batman feature story and then a lesser known DC hero. The next issue would be a Superman story and a lesser known DC hero. Well, one of those issues featured a Shazam story in it. Mm -hmm. Ironically, one that Jerry Ortway, who we'll talk about later, wrote himself. And, you know, they gave you his whole profile and everything. And I was like, 
you know, they told you, you know, like, you know, he was from 1940. I was like, oh, he's an old character. Like Superman and them are. That's interesting. And the whole, you know, setup of Billy Batson, the wizard, Black Adam, and every Dr. Savannah. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And the story was good. They drew it in this very distinct style. We'll describe it a little bit later. And uh, I was like, this is kind of, this is cool. And then it had to be, I guess, six months later after that, at the Revco around the corner from my house. This is how old I am, guys. Uh, Revco was still around. On the comic book stand in the drugstore, just like an old-fashioned story, they had a copy of The Power of Shazam number two on the stand. And I was like, oh, this is the this is the Captain Marvel guy from the Superman Batman magazine. And so I bought it. And I kept buying them. And that's how the act came on from there. So, and that was actually my introduction into actually buying comics because at some point, Revco stopped carrying them. And that's when me and my mom had to discover what a comic book shop was, where it was, and how that whole thing operated. We had, I had never stepped foot in a comic book shop before that. Wow. Yeah. So Captain Marvel was your gateway drug? Yes. Like, the first comics I read were X-Men and Spider-Man things that my mom had bought for me. I, I think she ordered them for, like, Sears catalog in collections or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, the Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and the Power of Shazam comic book by Jerry Orway. You know, because that leads to this to Superman, which leads to, you know, all the crossover events and so forth, and later led to JSA and all that. So, and that's how I am here today. <laughs> and I'm here right now. All right. So, to start with the story of Shazam. The story of Shazam basically starts with the story of Fawcett Comics because, again, this is not this is not a DC character, and we'll explain how DC got him because it's a, kind of a fucked up story. So, Fawcett Publications was started in 1919 by a man named Wilford Fawcett, who everybody called Captain Billy because he had been in the military during World War One. He started a magazine called Captain Billy's Whizbang, which was this sort of kind of pre-Mad Magazine body joke book that became very popular during like the uh, 1920s like if you look at a whole lot of like 1920s like set things you'll see issues of Captain Billy's whiz bang used as you know atmosphere and such and Fawcett basically grew from there became you know a very prominent publisher of magazines and novels like through the 1970s and 1980s the most popular magazines they had were Women's Day and Mechanics Illustrated. In, 19, in June, well, I guess it had to be May of 1938, a company called National Allied Publications published a comic book called Ashen Comics Number 1, which, of course, featured the first appearance of Superman. And within a year, Superman was the most popular thing in print. You know, they were gearing up to start doing a radio show. DC, we'll call them DC throughout the story because they were national back then, but DC, just for the sake of keeping the story consistent, was, you know, fielding film offers and things like that. And every publisher of a magazine in America was like, we should start a comic book division and start doing comic books. And how can we create a character who will be as popular as Superman? So Fawcett Publications started Fawcett Comics in 1939, and they assigned uh, a man named Bill Parker, who was working under uh, William Fawcett's son, Roscoe Kent Fawcett, who ran the uh, circulation at Fawcett. He asked Bill Parker to come up with 
a Superman-like character, except make his other personality, instead of it being like, you know, a nevish, you know, nerdy guy like Clark Kent, make him be a 10 or 12-year-old boy instead. That was really the only direction that he gave him. The Bill Parker's first treatment was that he developed a thing where you had six different boys who became six different heroes, and each hero had a different power. The editorial director um, named Ralph Dace saw that as like, just make them one. And so they merged those six heroes into one character. No Captain Planet around here. Right. Into one character named Captain Thunder. And yes, I did say Captain Thunder. I'll explain why later. They printed the first Captain Thunder story in a comic book called Flash Comics, which only ran like a couple of issues, a couple of prints. It was basically what they call an ash can copy, all black and white, just for the sake of them having something published so they could send it to the copyright office. And that was in November of 1939. They also tried a couple of them as Thrill Comics because they first found that Flash Comics was already trademarked. Then, unfortunately, they also found that Captain Thunder was already trademarked. And so was Thrill Comics as well. So they had to basically go back and figure out what they were going to call the character and the comic book. They settled on Wiz Comics for the comic book itself. And then Pete Costanza, who was an artist working at Fawcett at the time, he suggested the name Captain Marvelous, which the editor shortened to Captain Marvel. And so actual Captain Marvel made his first appearance in Wiz Comics number two, with the cover date of February 1940. So it was published in, I believe, December the 15th, 1939. You guys should have in front of you the first Captain Marvel story that was ever published from Wiz Comics number two. In this story, which if you listen to the show, we have made fun of many times because in 1939, I guess it was cool. In 2018, it's problematic as fuck. In the story, um, there's a little boy named Billy Batson who is selling newspapers out in front of the subway during a rainstorm. And a man in a green cloak comes up and he offers him a paper. And he's like, why aren't you home in bed, son? I have no home, sir. I sleep in the subway station. It's warm there. Follow me. And so, complete, I guess they didn't have guidance counselors back in the 1930s. Because Billy Not just- a single one. <laughs> Billy just follows this strange man <clears throat> whose face he cannot see Deep, you know, into this subway, this abandoned subway. I mean, stranger danger. I mean, look, I mean, I'm sure I might get molested, but I'll be at least be in a warm bed for a few hours. Jesus Christ. warm in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wonder, this is like a, a, the, um, this, a very special episode of uh, Transformers just waiting to happen. Or of, uh, <laughs> you know how they do like the moral at the end of the cartoons in the 80s? Listen, kids, oh. don't follow strange men into a subway. I mean, if out of context, this is a PSA. <laughs> it is. It's an anti-PSA. You mean if I follow a strange man into the subway, I'll gain superpowers? Like exactly. You'll learn a trade. <laughs> and so when they get into the subway, this weird-looking sp- uh, subway car comes and takes them to an underground cavern with statues of the seven deadly enemies of man against the wall. Statues that are twice the size of a person each. These grotesque sort of kind of like um, large face figures of pride, envy, greed, hatred, selfishness, laziness, and injustice. And at the end of this, these you royal know, statues... Gonna, you know, just going to call them what they are and they're monkeys? You don't want to call them what they are? They aren't monkeys. You sure? They're actually supposed to be demons. And so I don't... Well. Why, so why are the demons... Basically, basically, message. Why are the demons looking like monkeys? 
They don't oh. look like monkeys. They look like more like Easter Island statues, if anything. Yeah, they look Easter. Uh, there's two of them with some big lips as well, Ali's trying to say. Oh. <laughs> so you're saying that, uh, that they're all magical Negroes. Okay. Yeah. And so at the end of the tunnel is the throne of the wizard Shazam, mm. who says, welcome, Millie Batson. How'd you know Lord, my name? I just thought about it. In the new movie, it's going to be a black man telling a little white child, follow me. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the they, they're not gonna do that shit. And I'll explain why we talk about the reason. I know, the, the but still, reason. if they follow the original, if they like, you know, go by the the original origin. I know you have oh your theories God. about why they're gonna change it, and they make sense. But still, yeah. <laughs> God, Lee, like follow so follow many. an old black man. <laughs> on the head. So I mean, if an old problems. black man so has many. the voice of Morgan Freeman, I might follow him too. I mean, at, at thirty some odd years old, you sound like Morgan Freeman. Bring your ass, okay. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Billy Batson. How'd you know my name? I know everything. I am Shazam and lightning, thunder, and shit, and everything. Because, as Ali said before we start recording, Shazam is a queen, and he wants to make a dramatic entrance. <laughs> yep. So you're saying thunder, thunder, lightning, lights, the whole shebang. I mean, and then he's gonna give Billy the powers and tell him, "Don't fuck it up." Pretty much. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Pretty much. Fuck it up. <laughs> yep. And Shazam explains what his name means. It means the wisdom of Solomon, strength of Hercules, stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, courage of Achilles, and speed of Mercury. And he explains that he's been fighting Mercury. evil for 3,000 years. And now, basically, he's too old for this shit. He's about to die. And, he's, and he wants Billy to be his successor. Now... It's kind of fucked if you're asking this child to take on a lifetime, jo- a, a more than a lifetime job. You know, you don't give him a chance to like, you know, to like, you know, like uh, um, negotiate the contract, see if he can get like a raise or something, you know. But he explains that he chose Billy because Billy is homeless. You know, his um, evil uncle kicked him out and took his inheritance and everything. And so by speaking Shazam's name, Billy Bassett can become the, quote, strongest and mightiest man in the world, Captain Marvel. And so he says, speak my name. Billy says, Shazam, magic Say lightning. Say my name. Say <laughs> when, my name. Shazam. <laughs> magic lightning strikes down, and Billy turns into Captain Marvel. As Captain Marvel, he is an adult in a red costume with, with a, I guess, like with a, a torso patch on it with a button on it. Basically, it looks like it's designed after like military costumes from the 1800s, basically. Like hmm. the bands on uh, around his wrist are supposed to be like captains, like bands. So there's supposed to be like four or five of them. You know, kind of like the Confederacy, like very much. Uh, what's the name of that movie by Nate Parker? Birth of a Nation. Original Birth of a Nation looks. Yeah, there's an episode of Adobe Gillis where they have uh, what's the man's name Warren Beatty, um, in the school play, and he's playing a Confederate soldier, and he basically has on that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Problematic. <laughs> um, well, the one thing I really like about this is um, about this outfit is that the, the cape is fire. Yeah, the cape is taken from British no- nobility of the time, as you know, like with the the um, the fleur de lis uh, patterns sewn into it. So, red suit, white cape, yellow boots, sash around the waist, and yellow lightning bolt on the chest. And it should be made clear that. In this, in the original Fawcett version, 
Billy Bats and the Captain Marvel have different personalities, like sort of like Killer Frost and Caitlyn Snow on The Flash. They share memories, but they're two different people. Mm-hmm. And so, Cat, um, so Shazam sends Captain Marvel out to go fight crime, but not before the gigantic block above his throne falls on his head and kills him to kills him to dead. Although, don't fret too so, much. So, let me let me get this straight. Uh huh. He's a wizard of uh-huh. some kind, but there's a giant block above his head mm-hmm. that he's purposefully sitting under. Mm-hmm. Even if he just said that for three thousand years he's been fighting for justice, mm-hmm. which means he has to, he's uh, be able to leave <laughs> and come back. Yes, I'm not so, trying to break your universe. I'm just no, 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 no. What they would, yeah. what, what they would tell you is that he was destined to die, and he and he knew that, like Final Destination style. But okay, fine. It, it's Fine. very much like, I mean, he did commit suicide. It's like, I know I'm going to die anyway. I mean, everybody's going to die. <laughs> I thought that he was going to like, I thought he was going to like, um, you know, like um, Mark Hamill die and, you know, like that. Mark Hamill die? Spoiler alert! Sorry. <laughs> it's been two months. It's fine. <laughs> I, I apologize. Like I'm Mark sorry. Hamill die. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do, do you want to take that out, Brandon? Should no, I, I don't actually. <laughs> and so okay, Billy, well, I thought he was. I thought he was gonna fade away. Like he was like, oh, I'm gonna fade away into spirit dust. Or, nope, mm-hmm. no, nope. he's gonna die. Although, in later stories, Billy finds that he can light a brazier on the wall, and it brings back the wizard what as is a ghost. A brazier. Oh, what do you call it? Like a scone or whatever it is on the wall. No, you're a correct. Scone. It yeah, a, a scone. Prim- a, a scone. It's, it's a scone. Wow, he is the queen. <laughs> you tried it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a scone. A scone. A scone. Yes. Okay. You country. And, and you. And, and you're right, Brian. I, I have it said scone for thirty something years. Thank you for correcting me, Scots. But it is it basically is a, a thing that holds fire. 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 There's a fire. Ooh, there's a fire. Oh, Lord, okay. Jesus, there's a fire. I mean, he's yeah. right. It is, it is a, yes, um, right. a yeah. whatever. So Billy's first adventurous Captain Marvel is stopping the evil Dr. Savannah, who has developed a device that's going to destroy all radio frequencies. And he, mm-hmm. de- he demands $50 million, it was 1939, um, to, in order to stop it. He finds the crooks and finds where Savannah is hiding. Well, he finds where the crooks are hiding. He goes to tell Mr. Morris, who runs amalgamated broadcasting, what's going on. Mr. Morris is listening to him because he's a child. But he's like, if I if I stop the radio silencer, will you give me a job as a reporter? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, because he doesn't need the kick and do it. You know, Billy turns into Captain Marvel and goes and fights the bad guys and destroys the radio silencer. Savannah's not there. He's on a little screen. He's like, we will meet again, Captain Marvel. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he just and he goes and gets Mr. Morris and shows him the destroyed radio silencer and gets a job. And from now on, he's Billy Batson, boy radio reporter. And that basically sets up the um how the Captain Marvel series from there forward. It also sets up the trial for child labor laws. Yeah. Well, the I think the reason they made him a radio reporter, A, um, Clark Kent was a newspaper reporter, so Billy's hipper by being a radio reporter, because radio was the big thing in 1939. And two, this child is never in school. 
And, you know, because of plot, it's kind of hard to have him show up in school. So this is a convenient way to get him out of the necessity of being in school. So basically, they could have they could have put his caretakers in jail. They could have thrown him in jail because he, he didn't have any. He, he's a he's a homeless orphan. Oh, he's still homeless. Wait. So after he finishes his job at the radio station at night, he goes back to living in the. In the train oh no! He he uses his salary to get an apartment. Yeah, uh, Captain Marvel signed the lease for him. But he's a whole fourteen years old. Oh, I get it. Oh, I see. Yeah, so Captain Marvel signed the lease for him, you know, and, but, you know, he's like, well, my dad's never around. He's busy. He work, he's working all the time. Captain, he, Shazam don't got no ID or no social security. No. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue. Go ahead. Please continue. I, I, I think housing laws were looser back then. So, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got, you got kids not knowing that they should walk around. I'm um, following strangers. I mean, of course, uh, I think a lot of things were looser back then. So, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so that basically says with those characters, um, you know, uh, Billy Batson, you know, he's your basic archetypical, you know, uh, white kid of, you know, 14 years old. He, you know, he's a kid with a good heart, but he's a little bit petty. It is a take girl people shit. A lot of these stories have, you know, adults underestimating him because he's a kid. And he's like, I'll show you Shazam! Turns to the Captain Marvel and, you know, and shows them what for. I mean, he is a street urchin. Yeah. So he had to he had to be good, you know, about his wits, handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Riff raff street rat. <laughs> what? Yeah, Aladdin, Riff Raff, Street Rat, Scoundrel, take that. Okay, okay. Just a little No. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, and of course, as a reporter for uh, Wiz Radio, he's always on assignment in all sorts of strange locations and strange locales covering this and that. And they use that as the narrative device for the comics as well. You know, the first and last panels are always of Billy Batson at the radio uh, microphone saying, folks, this is a story about what Captain Marvel did this and what Captain Marvel did that and so forth. Uh, early on, the faucets like the at the top tier of the company, they wanted creators to get rid of Billy Batson because they felt like Captain Marvel needed all, all the page time he could get. But they just basically ignored their request and kept doing what they were doing. Uh, and I should also mention that because I didn't say CC Beck yet. My God, what am I doing? So CC CC Beck was the original artist of Captain Marvel. And he was 29 at the time, 29 years old, and he will be drawing Captain Marvel in some capacity for the rest of his natural life. Mm-hmm. Like he basically set the design of the characters. He he picked like the outfit and everything. He drew both Billy and Captain Marvel as you no. Know, Captain Marvel and Shazam is it's a cartoon comic book. It's a cartoony one. You know, Billy Bass and Captain Marvel both have dots for eyes. A lot of like like the incidental characters and villains have, you know, potato Popeye noses, you know. When they punch people, there's stars everywhere, you know. It's cartoony. It's not like how Superman was in a lot of the DC characters where they tried to do like more illustrative things. CC mm-hmm. Beck favored a simple cartoony style. And it's kind of neat because it's even like just looking at this cover for the Captain Marvel Adventures, it just seems like way more modern. Yeah. Than, you know, anything else out at the time. Like, I don't know what his layouts looked like because, my God, the layouts back then were like, ooh, 
Well, the funny thing is, CC Best layouts look great. The layouts of the other artists that they hired to do Captain Marvel stories here and there did not. Mm-hmm. One of those early artists was a, a young man named Jack Kirby, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah. who did stories for Captain Marvel Adventures issue number one, him and Joe Simon, before they did. Um, but actually, I think there was concurrent with them doing the first couple of Captain America stories. But yeah, so to explain Captain Marvel's powers very quickly, you know, he has, quote unquote, the power of Shazam, which as we, so his wisdom of Solomon basically means that he knows he has access to basically like all sorts of realms of knowledge and he can figure things out as quickly as anybody possibly humanly could. He originally it also meant that he had hypnosis, but they dropped that after a couple of stories. Strength of Hercules makes him, you know, he has super strength. Uh, when we get to the DC stuff, they basically say that he's as strong as Superman, more or less. Though I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. But he used to have wrestling contests back in the day and nobody would win. Like, you know, arm wrestling contests. They would just sit there for like hours. Uh, the Stamina Atlas, that's sort of self-explanatory, you know, like super endurance, you know, and um, near invulnerability. Power of Zeus, which basically powers the magic lightning, enhances all the other abilities beyond what they regularly would be. Uh, there's a very funny Shazam story where Zeus has a bad arm, and when he throws the lightning down, he hits the wrong kid, and that kid turns into Captain Marvel instead. <laughs> so I have a question about the, the Zeus powers. So yeah. does does Captain does Captain Marvel or Shazam does he have the ability to throw lightning bolts? At this time, in, in the original version, no. Uh, later on, yes. Okay. The, yeah, the other two powers are the courage of Achilles, basically self-explanatory. It's super courage, and then the speed of Mercury, which is you know, of course, super speed. In the original comics, he could fly beyond the speed of light to travel in time. You know how the Flash runs faster than the speed of light. Once you get into the DC stuff, they sort of kind of put that put more of a damper on that sort of thing because the Flash was be you know literally the fastest man alive. So, okay. Also, courage sounds, super courage sounds like recklessness. Mm, I mean, it's super courage paired with super wisdom. So, you know. Okay. And the powers basically work that, yeah, Billy becomes Captain Strength, Marvel. Courage and wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Shout out to Indy Shout Ari. Out to Ari. <laughs> uh, Billy becomes Captain Marvel whenever he says the magic word Shazam. That is a caveat that also ties into recorded versions, recorded utterances, accidental utterances. Anytime he says the syllables sh and zam next to him, he, he, the lightning comes out. And then the same with Captain Marvel, who turns back into Billy. There are a lot of stories of, you know, Savannah with, like, record, with tape recordings of Billy Bass and St. Shazam to make him change back and forth or whatever like that. Wiz Comics and Captain Marvel were immediately very popular. And just for the record, Wiz Comics also had other heroes like Ibis the Invincible and Spy Smash and all that, but they aren't really, they're not relevant to our discussion today, but they were good heroes as well. Okay. There was like, a, you know, Fawcett had a whole pathing on their own heroes, basically, like DC did. Captain Marvel being Which the most they, popular. They tried to make, later on, like somebody did try to make use of them in, in the context of the Captain Marvel book or Power of Shazam. Yes. Comic. But yeah. that's, a late, that's something we'll discuss later, I'm sure. Yeah. And so by nineteen by the end of nineteen forty one, it became very clear that Captain Marvel was extremely popular. So they decided to start creating spinoffs. The first spinoff they tried was were the Lieutenant Marvels, who were literally three randos, three random ass kids, 
who came to Station Wiz because they read Wiz comics and they knew that Billy Batson was Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So there's no fourth wall here. And each of these three kids just happened to also be named Billy Batson. One was from Texas. They started calling him Tall Billy because he was tall. One was from Brooklyn. They started calling him Fat Billy because he was fat. And one was from North Carolina. They started calling him Hill Billy because... Hmm. <laughs> so they just had no Because it's hilly in North then. Carolina. Right. Just have no creativity back then. Wow. <laughs> right. Or a sense of uh, being PC. Right. More on that later. Um, and so the other three Billies found that they could become Captain Marvels themselves if they all said Shazam in unison. Shazam Yeah. And so because there was already one Captain Marvel and that was enough, they decided to call themselves the Lieutenant Marvels. Hmm. So they were all lieutenant instead of being a captain. Ooh. Yeah. And um, because that idea just doesn't work that well, the Lieutenant Marvels didn't appear very often. The, oh, wow. Like, they first appeared in Wiz College 21 in mid-1941. And maybe, like, six more appearances after that period throughout, you know, the even the DC stuff later. Very sparingly used. They, tr- they had much better success with their second attempt at a spinoff, which was Captain Marvel Jr., so in late 1941, Wiz Comics and Master Comics would start Bullet Man had a crossover where they introduced a villain named Captain Nazi, who was, you know, a super superhuman, super speed, super strength, all that kind of stuff, except he was a Nazi. Blonde hair, blue eyed, green Nazi outfit, you know, came over from Germany at Adolf Hitler's orders, killing everybody. At one point, he attacks a boy and his grandfather who are out fishing on the lake. He kills the grandfather and tries to drown the boy, but Captain Marvel comes and saves the boy at the last minute. Billy Batson takes the boy to the hospital and find, they find out that he might die overnight. And so Billy takes his boy, whose name is Freddie Freeman, to the Wizard Shazam, and the underground thing lights the um the sconch on the wall. And the wizard's sconch. like, yeah. And the wizard's like, I can't do sconch. And the wizard's like, I can't do anything for him, but you can pass on some of your powers to him. And so when the boy wakes up, he found, because Billy turns to the Captain Marvel at this point, the boy wakes up and Freddie Freeman says, what? It's Captain Marvel. And he gets struck by lightning bolt and becomes Captain Marvel Jr. Because Fawcett wanted a teenage boy hero rather than another adult hero. That's the only reason Captain Marvel Jr. does not turn into an adult. But he, doesn't, but he, was, he stays a kid. He has a blue costume with a red cape. Superman, are you watching this? Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, the same powers as Captain Marvel. Uh, Captain Marvel Jr. becomes the new star of Master Comics after his first appearance in Wiz Comics number 25 in December of 1941. And he will be spun off into his own Captain Marvel Jr. comic book as well. The primary artist behind Captain Marvel Jr. was a man named Mac Rayboy, who drew in a, as opposed to C.C. Beck's cartoony style, Mac Rayboy drew in a very realistic, like, um, Alex Raymond-inspired style with a whole lot of detail and, you know, like, articulation and everything. He was so fastidious about his work that he would photocopy his old stuff just to have more time to work on new stuff. Like, he would slide in, like, photostatic um, panels in so he could do, like, these big splash pages and stuff. 
But the Captain Marvel Jr. stories were already super serious, very sort of like, you know, at their most whimsical, they tended towards like dark uh, fairy tales. But for the most part, you know, there were way more Nazis, way more guns, and way more, you know, like peril in a Captain Marvel Jr. comic versus a Captain Marvel comic, which tend to be more comical and whimsical. Uh, which explains, Ken, um, why they favor Captain Marvel Jr. during like the 2000s over at DC, over Captain Marvel himself. One year later, in December of 1942, for Captain Marvel Adventures number 18, Billy Batson is hosting a radio quiz bowl. Uh, Freddie is one of the contestants, and so is a girl named Mary Bromfield, who comes from a rich, a rich high society family. She gets kidnapped. Unfortunately, but before she gets kidnapped, Billy Batson gets a strange message from a woman named Sarah Prim, who tells him that she was his nurse when him and his twin sister were born. And that when the parents died, she had to choose one baby over the other. And so what happened was that she substituted Billy's twin sister in for a woman's baby who died overnight. This is just all kinds of problematic. And only she knew she had made that switch, but she gave each baby a locket so that they could find each other again in the future. Turns out, Mary Bromfield is Billy Batson's long-lost twin sister. Hmm. And once Billy finds this out, he goes to tell Mary, him and Freddie, as Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. He turns back to himself, and Mary's like, Billy, I saw Captain Marvel change right into you. And he's like, yeah, since you're in my family, you should know the family secret. And Freddy's Captain Marvel Jr. And Mary is like, wait, so if you're Captain Marvel, I'm your twin sister. Maybe if I'll change too. Nah. Oh, just, I mean, the wizard wouldn't give his powers to a girl. <laughs> um, at that moment, the kidnappers come back and they kidnap now Billy and Freddy and put gags over their mouth so they can't speak. And Mary's like, Billy, Freddy, say your magic words. Oh, no. Billy's gagged. He can't say Shazam. And then she turns into Mary Marvel for the first time. Mm. Uh, Mary Marvel, like Captain Marvel Jr., does not turn into an adult. She stays a child. Although her age would vary because, you know, the editors would change on her books. And some editors favored an older-looking Mary than a younger-looking Mary. But she's supposed to be Billy Batson's twin sister. I guess she just went through puberty before he did. Shrugs. Was it was 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 puberty problematic back then? No, it wasn't. It was, how could puberty, how could puberty be problematic? No, I mean puberty is that a substitute for um what I'm uh, what, what I'm basically saying, Ali, is that Mary's figure developed while they were making the comics. And I'm asking you, was it problematic yet? No. Because remember, she does have a very interesting turn. That was that was literally 60 years later. Okay. <laughs> Nobody would have dared do that back then. But yeah, uh, Mary became the star of WoW Comics and her own Mary Marvel Comics, which Mary Marvel Comics didn't last very long. Because after the war, when some book sales started dying down, her book was one of the first ones cut because um, patriarchy. And for the record, 
even though she has the same powers, quote unquote, as Captain Marvel does, she has a different pantheon of gods of um, and historical figures she gets them from because they have, you know, she has to get them from women. She can't get her powers from men, you know, just that thinking. So she has Grace from Selena, Strength from Hippolyta, who is Wonder Woman's mama, Skill from Eridine, Fleetness from Zephyrus, who is actually a male god. But they Ooh. made her they, um, Zephyrus, Ze- like like Zephyr, Zephyr. yeah. Um, beauty from Aurora and wisdom from Minerva. I guess they said Zephyr was a uh, anyway, which way the wind blows. Right. Yes. <laughs> Zephyr wind. In, insert corny horn. Of- <laughs> Wait. Wait, you said Zephyr was for flight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. That flight and speed. Yeah, and in Mary's stories. She ends up running into an old man named Dudley who pretends to be her uncle because he finds Mary Bat he finds Mary Batson's diary, finds out she's Mary Marvel, and decides that he can make money off of this girl. And so he pretends to be Uncle Marvel. So whenever Mary says Shazam, he pretends to say Shazam too, and then goes and changes clothes right quick into a homemade Marvel <laughs> costume that he made himself. What the fuck? Really? Exactly. I'm you dead know how serious. problematic that sounds? It's extremely problematic. It's a random old man pretending to be your uncle. You're, but you're but because he it's, proves to the be... The world ain't faithful for such a Shazam child. Oh, it's so wow. late. So, but because he proves to be somewhat useful in a bubbling sort of way, Mary keeps him around, even though she's like, this ain't my uncle, but, you know, he's helpful sometimes, so he can stick around. Okay. Problem about. <laughs> he he buys me things. He takes me out, you know. Yeah, since, since Mary is uh since Dudley's is Mary's play uncle, um, what's what can you add to that other than a play cousin? And so a girl named another girl named Mary decides she wants to be a Marvel too. She makes her own Mary Marvel costume and she becomes Freckles Marvel. Oh, this is new to me. Freckles. Yeah. Freckles Marvel. If you look in the Trello, there should be a picture of Freckles Marvel. She has no powers. She's just a, a girl in a in a homemade Mary Marvel costume who helps out in Mary Marvel's adventures. Okay. She may have appeared twice at DC. And then, oh, um, as a spinoff, they created a book called Fawcett's Funny Animals, which was you know a, a like you know like a cartoon cartoon. Funny animal book. And the star of that book was Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. Okay. Who was a bunny rabbit who named Hoppy, who read Wiz Comics, and one day decided to say Shazam and found that he could become Captain Marvel Bunny. Captain Marvel what? Captain Marvel Bunny. Okay. That was the superhero name. So was he named after like monsters of myth? That's what uh, I, mean, I think so, like? but I don't know what his oh, pantheon wow, really? is. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, that was just me being... Okay. (laughs) Like a lot of comic book characters and cartoon characters and such, Captain Marvel and the Marvel family were designed after popular celebrities from the time when they were created. So, for example, C.C. Beck based Captain Marvel's original design on Fred McMurray, who at the time was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood starring in, you know, feature films. 
you know, we know him better today, Fred McMurray, for starring on the sitcom My Three Sons and also in the Disney movies like The Absent-Minded Professor and Shaggy Dog. You know, Captain Marvel, the heavy eyebrows and, and the black slip-back hair basically come from Fred McMurray. Although C.C. Beck would later incorporate influence from Cary Grant as well. We know Cary Grant, you know, for starring in movies like North by Northwest and things like that and um, bringing up Baby. C.C. Beck would also derisively say that Jackie Oakley, who was a heavyset actor from that time, influenced Captain Marvel when there were, you know, certain stories and things where Captain Marvel looked a little bit too heavyset for his tastes. Mary Marvel was designed after Judy Garland, you know, Andy Hardy movie, Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. And Freddie Bartholomew was the inspiration for Captain Marvel Jr., even though C.C. Beck derisively would later say that McRayboy's version of Captain Marvel Jr. looked to him more like a cross between Tiny Tim from A Christmas Carol and Peter Pan, basically saying that he looked too young and too thin. Uncle Marvel was based on W.C. Fields, who we today, especially people who are below the age of probably about 30 or so, recognize mostly from being caricatured in old Looney Tunes cartoons that they show on the Cartoon Network and such, you know. Ah, yes, my little chickadee, the guy, the heavyset guy with the big round nose and everything. And when they later did a Shazam cartoon show, they used a caricature W.C. Fields voice as the voice for Uncle Marvel. And running in the other direction, you know, as far as influences go, Captain Marvel Jr. actually was an influence on a young Elvis Presley, who it said based his trademark hairstyle, which he died because Elvis wasn't naturally, didn't actually have um, black hair. The trademark hairstyle, the capes and the stage outfits that he wore, especially during the late 60s and 70s on Captain Marvel Jr. They actually put a Captain Marvel Jr. comic book in some of the displays and things where they're showing Elvis Presley, like in Memphis where they have like places he used to live and things like that. They put a Captain Marvel Jr comic book on his desk. And then among uh, the, the support, uh, the rest of the supporting cast for these, these comics, we mentioned Sterling Morris already. Um, there was what you might call the Jimmy Olsen chair. You know, whoever Captain Marvel's sidekick was at the time. His first sidekick was a character named Whitey Murphy. Was he black? No, he was white. With white hair. Yeah, Whitey Murphy is a character who's introduced in a production we'll talk about later outside of comics, but they brought him into the comics to be Captain Marvel's Jimmy Olsen, basically. Um, after a couple of issues, he was dropped in favor of a character named <coughs> Steamboat. Mm. Um, come on, come on, come on, uh, diversity. William Bill Steamboat was... Can I walk away? <laughs> <laughs> was an out-of-work um, ship Go captain. back to your Corrigo and Oxtiv. Who became Billy Batson's Valet, and I use that with finger quotes. Because as far as I'm concerned, that nigga was a slave. If you look into the Trello, there's a like a Captain Marvel family cast photo in there. And if you look in the back, you can see Steamboat. <laughs> Listen, if, Brandon, <laughs> if you went back in time and Steamboat introduced you himself, Brenner would be like, man. You was a slave. <laughs> Why aren't you free, brother? Why aren't you free? Get out. Get out. 
<laughs> exactly. It would be funny if, like, <laughs> Captain Marvel was the ultimate, like, uh, get out person for what was the name of that process? The coagula. <laughs> yeah, for the coagula process. <laughs> like, young Billy, <laughs> come with me. Yeah. <laughs> Cece Beck claims they introduced Steamboat in order to draw in black readers. Oh, which ha- really? Which has to be a lie from the pits of hell. I'm sorry. Because the fuck? Steamboat basically spoken, we was and they was and Oolahs and Captain Marvel. We got no Oolahs and Billy Bassett. We got to do something. Why don't you call Captain Marvel? Now, this child would say the magic word and a fucking lightning bolt would come down and change the Captain Marvel right in front of Steamboat. But Steamboat was too dumb to ever realize that Billy Bassett and Captain Marvel were the same person. <laughs> I just want to know why it's Steamboat sitting next to Quagmire in this group photo. Uh, that's um Don Newton. He, he's the artist who helped draw this. He drew himself into the thing. Mm. This is this is pretty bad. I, like, but I'm this looking is, at all these pro- like wow. that back row is totally problematic. You got like you got Steamboat. You got this guy who uh I can't remember his name, but he's over here looking like he's part of the of the um special community. I bet have the a- I bet you have this um. The Asian, the Asian villain in the background. Nippo, yes. Which is a very Nippo. racist term. And I apologize for saying that out loud. Uh, we won't be discussing Nippo. I have never heard that term before. Yeah, he's one of Captain Marvel's villains from the from the World War II. Um, that is also a racial slur for a, a, a Japanese person. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Oh, so they literally called him the slur. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like... I mean, 40s comics were on one. They were on one, y'all. They were on one. So what happened? I mean, was, it was a different time. So I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I, I mean, everybody has their learning and their lessons. I just want to know why that Savannah chick is up front. Like they put the blonde up chick up front, who is pretty much a villain. Uh, oh, we'll discuss beauty in a second. Um, well, he, he, she, well, he, the bitch is a cold start best. Oh. <laughs> um, so what? So the other thing is too. Why? Why is? Why does Steamboat? Like, where is his? Like, I don't understand why his face is two tone like that. Like, I mean, that's how this, racist like, white people drew black people back in the nineteen forties. Like, I'm literally we, what? I mean, we don't outside have of the model, white... what's her name? Gosh, I can't remember the model's name who has revitiligo. Who? What black people have faces like that? Yeah, like why do we have why from the from under our nose all the way to our chin? It's all uh, like porcelain Lip. white. I mean, were they hoping to get some Mickey Mouse like looks in there too? Oh Lord, I don't know, man. I don't know. So what happened yes. with Steamboat was that the Youth Builders, this teenage organization made up of kids from New York City, black, white, and uh, Puerto Rican and otherwise, um, marched up to the Fawcett City Building in New York and protested Steamboat in 1945. Wow. And the faucet said, pull him out the book. And he was out. And for a while, he was replaced by a character named Joan Jameson. There's a story in Captain Marvel Adventures number 67 called Captain Marvel Gets a Secretary. So instead of a valet, now he has a secretary. I don't know how that works in the org chart. If I came into work tomorrow and they told me your boss is a 14-year-old child, I don't know what I'd say. Well, she's a, it's a woman, so you, you, you told a line. Yeah, back then. Uh, patriarchy. Yeah, again, uh, yeah, patriarchy again. So yeah, the final and most popular sidekick of Captain Marvels was Mister Takitani, who was a tiger who was fed a special magic serum out in the jungles of India, learned to talk and walk upright, 
and decide to go to America to live among civilization. Yes, let's do an indirect racial stereotype. Is there nothing <laughs> about any of his psychics or 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 partners that is not problematic? <laughs> like it was a different wow. time. It's just got it was kind of like cafeteria style like racial stereotype. Why does a psychic have to be why does a psychic have to be a racial stereotype? Why can't a psychic just be, hey, that's my buddy. Let's team up. Why does it have to be uh, somebody I mean, they, they literally to figured be out a lesser. way to make a tiger racist. <laughs> Jeez. It was just like, they couldn't like, like, they couldn't get out of their own way in this time. It's just like, well, I mean, it's not directly racist. It's just talking about Eastern myth stuff. I mean, everybody's fine with that, right? I mean, yeah, it's a lot. So, Talkie Tawny was basically used as, you know, comic relief. So the same way Woozy Winks was used for Plastic Man. Woozy you know. Winks. You never heard of Woozy Winks? Plastic Man's I have. I, I, heard, I mean, I'm, I didn't follow Plastic Man like that, but I've heard that name Woozy Winks, and I'm just thinking about these names. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, like, you know, mo- there's a lot of Talkie Tawny solo stories. They're basically comedies, more or less. We're not solo. Captain Marvel's still there, but Talkie Tawny's the main character. You know, he was, you know, a very popular character in the late 40s and early 50s for Captain Marvel comics. Uh, he was fond of dapper suits and high tone language. He worked at the museum as a curator after they after people got over there freak out that there's a goddamn tiger walking around in a, in a, in a three piece suit. <coughs> <laughs> right. He was great. Yep. Great. And what I call the lowest lane chair, because, you know, every supervillain, every superhero needs some, um, you know, a girlfriend to save. Billy and Captain Marvel each had their own girlfriend, more or less. Well, Billy had a girlfriend. Captain Marvel had a woman who chased after him. <laughs> so Billy's girlfriend is Sissy Summerlee, who basically she wasn't much of a character. She was only there to get kidnapped by Savannah so that Billy could save her. She's barely appeared in DC stuff, but who's appeared way more often is Beautia Savannah, who is the blonde in the front of the photo that we're talking about. Uh, Beautia Savannah is the daughter of uh, Captain Marvel's biggest foe, Dr. Savannah, but she is in love with Captain Marvel. Therefore, she often betrays her father and tries her best to help Captain Marvel when she can. She often gets kidnapped. Captain Marvel has to go save her. By who? Her dad? By her dad, often, but by other villains as well. Her dad kidnapping her. Yes. Right. Okay. Her father is literally kidnapping her. Yes. Right. Uh, I mean, don't okay. you call that... What kind of white privilege? Isn't that just being <laughs> rounded? Yeah, it's a lot, man. Um, but she does we not live know in that. The same, we live in the same house, but I'm going to kidnap you. you I mean, like, she, like she's not going to have to go home once Captain Marvel turns back into Billy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, Thank you. how does this work? I, I just saved you. Now, now your father sends sends a, a a car over to take you back home. <laughs> I'm going back under my own will, father. Yeah, yeah. You will yeah. not. You will not tame me. I am not it's an di- animal. It's it's a difference between locking now, the door. Now, will take me home, you nigger. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! It's it's a difference. <laughs> it's the difference Please between locking. <laughs> Kid Wiley. But uh, oh, really? it, it's, a, it's like it doesn't make any here. sense. It's yeah, like because... even for like animated cartoon logic. It's like like literally, it's like 
I've kidnapped my own daughter who lives in the same house with me, who I paid the bills for in all this. Oh, oh I, you didn't kidnap your ass. I didn't kidnap you. Okay. Yeah, I own her. And you want to turn on me and help out yeah. the hero. Mind you, me beating up the hero is what pays for you to look so damn good. But, <laughs> right. You're like, like, like you like you don't have a stake in all this. It just does not work. It's it's mind blowing because it's like I figuratively own you, but when I really say it for real, that's when it's a problem. Right, and it should be pointed out. Butia loves Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is scared of women. Like it's and it's funny because Billy is not, but Captain Marvel is. <coughs> <laughs> so you know, so you know, someone's gonna be problematic and ask, you know, is he gay? <laughs> He's probably asexual because he's you know he's like a a, a created being. He's pan romantic. Lord Jesus. <laughs> so that brings us into our discussion of villains now, and we have to course start with Savannah, uh, Doctor Daddyus Bodog Savannah, because we're already talking about him. You know he's he's an evil mad scientist. You know with the cackle, the overbite, the stoop, the rubbing the hands, and <laughs> evil laugh, and the curse has foiled again. His origin story is that he once was a respected scientist who was inventing all these crazy inventions that worked, but the scientific community ridiculed him to the point where he decided he would leave Earth and go live on Venus instead. So he went, he took his young child, young son of about six and his young baby daughter, and they went on a spaceship to Venus and stayed there for 20 years before they came back. By the time he came back, he was evil, twisted, bitter, angry, and evil. I already say evil twice, so. But yeah, so that's Savannah's origin story, basically, from back then. Venus, huh? Yeah, Venus. And he lived there. The daughter became the queen, actually, with Venus for a while. And But yeah, Savannah is Captain Marvel's arch enemy. There's roughly 1,300 Captain Marvel stories from the Golden Age. Savannah's in 900 of them. So he was around a lot. Okay. So, Brandon. His design appears to have been... I, I'm gonna say stolen from the design of the ultra human knight in Superman comics. The original one, he was still a human before he became, he's like an ape now, right, Ken? Yes. Yeah. So, also, I guess his design is from perhaps people who were superstitious about um, doctors back then. Yeah. CC Beck says he designed them after a pharmacist that he knew. So, people, people were probably afraid of going to the doctor or dentist. Oh, they still or are. Whatever kind of medical. <laughs> Or whatever kind of medical person, you know, you know, so that I guess that's what. Right. Because he's got the old timeish medical um, suit. Yeah. And there are, he has four children. His oldest child is Magnifica Savannah, who's about 25 or so. He's a big, strong, strapping, blonde young man. In his first, his only Golden Age appearance, he has superpowers. He's, he fights Captain Marvel for his father. Hmm. That's a really problematic statement, Brandon. No, his father tells him to fight Captain Marvel and he goes to do it. Okay, the other thing is too, because of the fact you just brought up that Captain Marvel keeps running away from um, Butia, you clearly now realize the real reason why um, he keeps on trying to save her. Well, I mean, he keeps trying to save her because her father keeps trying to kill her. Not because he wants an audience with Magnificus? We're moving forward. Uh, <laughs> Butia is about 21 or so. We talked about her already. And the two youngest children are both twins. Uh, they are Georgia Savannah and Savannah Jr. As you can imagine from their names, they were created as supervillains for Mary Marvel 
and Captain Marvel Jr. They basically are their father, more or less, just as kids. Mm. And so Georgia Savannah, Savannah Jr., and Savannah Sr. became the Savannah family to fight the Marvel family mm. in, the late, in the late 1940s. Uh, the other villains, we mentioned Captain Nazi already. The seven deadly enemies of man, which are those statues on the wall, they can come alive basically under if like certain spells are broken and go out and they can make people prideful or, you know, greedy or, you know, evil, basically like that, you know. Ibeck. Ibeck is like Captain Marvel. He has a magic word, which is his name, Ibeck. So he um, he's like this two-bit thug and street sweeper named Stinky Print Whistle who gets powers from Lucifer himself. The powers of Ivan the Terrible, Cesare Borgia, or Caesar Borgia, my bad, uh, Attila the Hun. No, and, Cesare. Um, no, Cesare. Oh, oh Cesare. Borgia. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, culture. And, um, and Caligula, which spells Ibac. So whenever he says the magic word Ibac, he turns into this big, brutish guy who's the guy in that back row that Kim's talking about who looks like special needs. Easiest way to defeat Ibac, make him say his own name. To that end, Sabak is a Captain Marvel Jr. film, basically the same character, more or less, just younger, with a, as a different person named Timothy Carnes. Sabak appeared a lot in DC stuff because they seem to like him because, you know, um, he's a demon. Yeah, um, and, he, and he doesn't look handicapped. Right. <laughs> but the same thing. He has the power of Satan, Aim, Bilal, Beelzebub, Asmodeus, and Kratos. Basically, all different names for uh, the adversary. Yeah, the devil. Mr. Mind and the Monster Society of Evil. So, in Captain Marvel Adventures numbers 26, 22 through 46, they had a ongoing story called The Monster Society of Evil, which was the first such story in comics. You know, we're used to a serialized story in comics now. That was the first one. Mm-hmm. And they basically, it was also the first supervillain team because they took all the supervillains from the from the Captain Marvel stories and put them all into one team to fight Captain Marvel. And the leader was a guy named Mr. Mind, who we find out in Captain Marvel Adventures number 28 is a two-inch caterpillar from the planet Venus. So Venus has, has a nature form. Yes. Okay. So this is a little worm. He has a talk box in order to speak, and he needs glasses in order to see. But he's evil. He has powers of mind control and telepathy. He leads all these, these supervillains to um, destroy Captain Marvel and kill people. Ends up getting caught, tried for 150,239 deaths or whatever the number was, and stuffed. So he's like an airworm. Yes, literally. He, he's like a, yeah, so that he's like a metaphor for an airworm. He's the thing that whispers in your ear to get you to do bad things. Right. Okay. All right. uh, and then we have a villain who only appeared once in these original Captain Marvel stories. Um, some guy named Black Adam. I don't know if you've heard of him before. <laughs> but yeah, everybody knows Black Adam now. Basically, you know, he he was the Wizard Shazam's first uh, champion back in ancient Egypt. Essentially, he turned evil. And the wizard decided to banish him to the furthest star in the universe. And Black Adam was so angry and visual, he spent 5,000 years flying back to Earth. And in the original story, Uncle Marvel tricks him into saying Shazam. He turns back into, te- into his original form of Teft Adam and immediately turns to dust because he's 5,000 years old. So, so the problematic play uncle is actually useful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, a little bit. So these, this shit was popular, though. Captain Marvel Adventures in 1944 was selling 1.4 million copies every bi-weekly issue, which is way more than any comic book that was out there, including Superman. Billy Batson was a reliable protagonist for kids. And if you, um, if you prefer Freddie or Mary, they were there too as well. The whole family thing worked great for cross-promotion for the characters. That light, that light, wacky, comedic touch made them stand out on the comic book shelves, basically. That's funny. That's, that's such an opposite of what people usually do today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the complete opposite now. But back then, it, it helped because, like, you know, like, the humor in the books was, like, witty to where it knew the shit was stitched, that the shit was silly. And so it would make, it was, like, self-referential a whole lot. It didn't take itself seriously at all. Okay. And then now, and then after Captain Marvel, of course, there's a whole long list of superheroes who basically took that same concept and ran with it. Heroes like Kid Eternity, Mighty Mitor, Young Samson, He-Man, Prime, Ben 10, the Power Rangers, Sailor Moon, and so forth. And Captain Marvel. Yeah. In 1941, Republic Pictures tried to make a serial, which a film serial basically what happened, what I guess I need to explain to the audience. Basically, like every week, you would go to the theater and see a new chapter of a, a film serial. They ran about the length of a TV show would run now. But you, you literally go to the theater and each week there would be, an, each week or each month, there would be a, a new one there. They wanted to make one about Superman, but DC said no because they had just sold their rights to Paramount to make the Superman cartoon series. And so Fawcett was like, hey, hey, look, we got to hear it over here. You can use ours. And so they did. Republic Pictures made The Adventures of Captain Marvel, a 12-chapter film serial, which starred Frank Coughlin Jr. as Billy Batson and Tom Tyler as Captain Marvel. Ali saw a little bit of it. He said Tom Tyler was too skinny. <laughs> he was. <laughs> but it was a very popular film serial. People say it was one of the best. People say it was the best film serial ever made. I've only seen maybe like three of them. This one, Batman, and Superman. And it's the best of those three, but I don't know about the rest. There might be a better one out there, perhaps. I ain't seen it yet, though, but... The Adventures of Captain Marvel serial also introduced Whitey Murphy and Betty Wallace. They both made appearances in the comic book later on, even though Whitey Murphy appeared far more often than Betty Wallace did, and Whitey Murphy went on to appear in DC Comics sporadically as well. Betty Wallace, you know, she really didn't get much to do in the serial other than be a damsel in distress, so they didn't use her much in the comic book, unfortunately. However... This became the final straw, though, for DC, who had been watching Captain Marvel's success very closely. They already had dealt with Fawcett before. They introduced a character called Masterman, who was even more of a bald copy of Superman, and they got Fawcett to stop publishing that character. And they were trying to get him to stop publishing Captain Marvel too. but when they made the film serial, which meant that Captain Marvel was going to be cross-promoted into another medium, live-action... Captain Marvel was the first superhero to appear in a live-action film before Superman did. That was, that was the last straw. And so in September of 1941, DC Comics sued Fawcett Comics and Republic Pictures for copyright infringement, alleging that Captain Marvel was an illegal infringement of Superman, market competition, and all that kind of good stuff. This lawsuit would drag on for 12 years. 
Like the whole entire time they're introducing Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Marvel Bunny, all that shit. They're in court the entire time. The lawsuit scared. The reason why Superman, why Captain Marvel didn't become, even though the book was selling more, the reason why he didn't become as popular as Superman back then is because they couldn't merchandise him properly. Whenever they get like a, a licensee, basically it's made like T-shirts or toys or whatever, they would print like a couple hundred of them. DC would show up, stop this shit right now, and they would stop. Oh, wow. So if you have any 1940s Captain Marvel like toys or dolls or things like that, they are worth buku money because they're very rare. In 1948, they actually finally took that lawsuit to trial. CC Beck took the stand and told everybody that, you know, he barely knew who Superman was. I can't even say it. He was lying on the stand. He said he barely knew who Superman was. He might see like one Superman comic once in his life. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Meanwhile, one of the other artists got there and said, oh, no, nah, we, we read all the shit. Matter of fact, Mr. Beck, who is sitting over there in the third row, told me to pick up a copy of Superman, turn to page five, look at panel three, and copy that into the Captain Marvel comic. That's what he oh, told me to God. do. Oh, Clarence Charles Beck, sitting right there, the third row. <laughs> turn <Wow>. card. <laughs> Fawcett's argument was that Superman was not an original idea that Popeye the Sailor and Tarzan were superheroes before Superman was. Superman's argument was, look at the bitch! (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) They both have black hair. They both have superpowers. They both fly, super strong and everything. The um, the, uh, alter egos are ready, are, are both reporters, journalists. It's the same thing. We have <laughs> really. So you're just gonna sit there and, and, and pretend that Superman was just like that bitch stole my dress. Yes. <laughs> Your Honor, we have these clippings from the Captain Marvel comics and the Superman comics. Superman did these feats of strength in comic action first, and then a year or so later, Captain Marvel did the same things in his comic. Your Honor, this is copyright infringement. They are stealing our stuff. We want money. Um, <laughs> Foster's about to lose this shit, but they found a loophole that let them win. They found that DC had licensed Superman to uh, the McClure Syndicate to do comic strips in the newspaper, and a couple of those strips didn't hold any copyright notice. You know, copyright, C-mark, oh, the whatever, stamp, whatever. The stamp on it? Yeah. Like this, this watermark, the watermark? Yeah, a couple of them were missing the watermark. And they were like, oh. Your Honor... This means that they have forfeited the copyrights to Superman. Uh, oh, is that a rule? And the, and the judge said, you know what? Y'all are right. We rule in, in favor of Fawcett. Hold on a second. So is that like a rule up to today? If you make a mistake and you, you miss one time to put the C Don't read ahead. on... DC thought that was some bullshit. I mean, I would have thought that was some bullshit. Too. <laughs> I mean, you think it is now. <laughs> and to that end, they appealed, they took this case to the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. And Judge Learned Hand, that is that white man's real actual name that his mother Wait gave Wait a minute, him. his name is Learned Hand? Learned Hand. <laughs> <laughs> 
He decided <laughs> it was some bullshit too. He said just because they forgot to copyright a few of the strips didn't mean that they had forfeited the copyright on the all God, like 200 issues issues of Superman from 1938 yeah, forward. Like, can you imagine if you made that kind of mistake? You, you printed 200 and on 199, you put the C and then the last one you forgot. That. So you forfeit ownership of the entire thing. Wow. Yeah. And so yeah. they decided the copyright was valid. And the thing was, the lower court and this higher court both agree with DC that Captain Marvel was an illegal infringement of Superman. So this time they ruled in favor of DC. This was 1952. Fawcett had lost. Mm. All right. So now you you really have to cease and desist. Yeah, and that's what they did. Before this was kicked back to the lower court for a damage assessment, which meant probably more money they would have had to pay. Fawcett went to DC and was like, hey, so hey, how you doing? Listen, this is what we're gonna do. We'll give you well, no, first of all. <laughs> First of all, these are a bo- this is a box of chocolate, <laughs> right? And if you look closer on the bottom, there are some buttered scones. <laughs> a few sconces. I have some raspberry marmalade here too. If you like some, here, yes, yes. There you go. So now, we're, gi- we're going to give you guys four hundred thousand dollars. And we will never publish Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Marvel Bunny, Lieutenant Marvel, Uncle Marvel, Aunt Marvel, none of the Marvels ever again. We promise. Cross our hearts and hope to die. DC said yes. So in 1953, they published the very last Captain Marvel and Marvel Family Comics. Wiz Comics number 155, Captain Marvel Adventures number 150, and Marvel Family number 89. And that was it. And Fawcett not only was it Fawcett not only canceled the Marvel, the Captain Marvel stuff, they canceled all of their comics, period, and just went into just doing magazines. Oh, is that because he went bankrupt? No, because comic books weren't selling anymore in the early 50s, not superhero ones, at least. It was like all horror and romance and Archie. Okay. And they decided they didn't want to get to any of that. So they tried some, there's the later, the last few issues of Captain Marvel Adventures are like horror based. But it didn't uh, work for that for, for that character. Okay. And so DC, well, I forgot to mention. Um, so the guy who created Mary Marvel and Uncle Marvel and a, the whole like Marvel family concept and a lot of super films was a man named Otto Bender, because Bill Parker went to the military during World War II and didn't come back to the comic section. He went to Mechanics Illustrated instead. Otto Bender wrote most of the Captain Marvel stories, despite all of the good ones from the Fawcett era. Mm-hmm. DC hired Otto Bender to work on Superman. <laughs> Immediately after they, they shut down Fawcett, they got Otto Bender. It's like, hey! Hey, big head! What you doing? <laughs> Why don't you bring What's some of that to? Captain Marvel stuff to Superman so we can sell books like y'all did? And so... Otto Bender went to Superman, to DC, and he created Supergirl, Crypto the Superdog, The Fortress of Solitude, The Legion of Superheroes, and he launched Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, where Jimmy Olsen got all the crazy powers all the time. This is just wrong. (laughs) He also created all the the different colors of Kryptonite as well. This is crazy. (laughs) 
This is so my God. So a lot if of the I... a lot of the stuff, Superman stuff, the extended stuff that people like from the golden from like the Silver Age is all auto bender stuff. Uh, oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> that's funny. And oh, the so lead artist on the Marvel family, a man named Kurt Scheffenberger, DC hired him to go draw Lois Lane comics. Petty. <laughs> wow. Petty. Meanwhile, over in the United Kingdom, a publisher called L. Miller & Sons, they were the licensee for Fawcett to print reprints of Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. comics. All of a sudden, the shit stopped coming in, and they found out why. And they panicked. What do we do? We want to keep making money. So they created a ripoff character named Marvel Man, who was a young boy named Mickey Moran who said the magic word Komoda to become Marvel Man. Komoda. I feel, I mm-hmm. feel like nobody is, learning, yep. nobody is learning their lesson. Marvel Man became popular, so they created Young Marvel Man, who was a teenage version, and Kid Marvel Man, who was a preteen version. And it became the Marvel Man family. Marvel Man comics were published from 1954 to 1963, at which point they stopped. Then later on, 1982, um, Alan Moore, who you guys know from Watchmen, brought back Marvel Man in the pages of what was then called Warrior Magazine. Because the whole Marvel thing and Marvel Comics not being down with that, they were forced to rename him Miracle Man after a couple of issues. Okay, I have I have one comment on that. Mm-hmm. What is the obsession of using the word Marvel? Hasn't anybody learned their lesson? <laughs> More on like that later. you are acro- you're across the, the you across the ocean, and you've you if you were paying attention to comic books, you know what went down, right? Mm-hmm. But yet you still want to create a character and call him Marvel Man. Like, mm-hmm. do you want do you want this law? Do you want this lawsuit? Do you want trouble again? Well, it never came their way, so they were good. What I'm just saying, but why would you even why would you even chance it though? Right? I don't. I don't know. Because you saw what happened. The last person who, who tried it, last person who got in trouble, they they just completely ext- like extricated themselves from comic books completely. Like. That's it. Mm-hmm. Many years later, in 1966, a company called MF Enterprises published, started publishing a comic book called Captain Marvel, in which a young boy meets an android, and whenever the android says the magic word split, the limbs fly off and he can fight bad guys one limb at a time, literally. MF, MF Enterprises, basically what they were trying to do was they were trying to stake a claim so they could trademark the name because after 10 years of disuse, the trademark had lapsed so anybody could just jump on the Captain Marvel trademark and get their own Captain Marvel who was a comic book character. After only five issues of MF Enterprises' Captain Marvel, Marvin Goodman, the man who owned Marvel Comics, decided that if anybody was going to have a Captain Marvel as a comic book character, it was going to be Marvel Comics. So they tried to cease and assist MF over the whole thing of having Marvel in the title. MF tried to fight back. Didn't go so well. They settled out of court. And a couple of months later, Stan Lee presents Captain Marvel. This is a whole mess. This is a mess. (laughs) 
I just want you to this is some petty shit that I just I didn't know was going down. So I'm I'm learning just how messy um, the business is. You know, your boy is. Yeah. Yep. Captain Marvel at Marvel Comics was a alien of the Kree race named Marvel, who, you know, he fought out in outer space and stuff. Brandon, back up for just a second. Mm-hmm. What was the loophole that that um that that um that he can what was the loophole for this? Well, Fawcett was no longer used no longer using the name. They legally couldn't yeah. use it. Uh the trademark right. office, after 10 years of disuse, they just, you know, it's it's up for grabs now. Anybody can use it. Yeah, but but if you if you use that name, then it can it can tie back to um nah. DC. No, as long as okay. long as Captain Marvel didn't um have super strength, super speed, uh-huh. black hair, and a journalist alter ego, they're good. Okay, so as long as I don't meet any of these criteria, I can still use that name because that name right. is no longer copyrighted to any company. Right. I think okay. Captain Marvel did have super speed still, but he didn't have all the other stuff, so it was fine. Captain Marvel at Marvel was not a popular character at all. Although they tried their best, they even gave him a, a sidekick named Miss Marvel, uh, aka Carol Danvers. And so they kept trying to publish him. In 1982, they killed him off and made um, a black woman from New Orleans named Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel instead. Then after a while, this is where I get fuzzy, kid. So this after in the 90s, they decided to make Captain Marvel's son Captain Marvel, right? Yeah, Janice Marvel. Yeah. Marvel. And then I think there was one more between that. And then Carol Danvers said, well, fucking, I'll do it. <laughs> she didn't want to take the name of the mantle, but it just made sense. Right. And so now Carol Danvers is Captain Marvel. The book finally sells after 40 years of trying. It, mm. um, production has begun last week on a Captain Marvel movie starring Brie Larson as Carol Danvers. They're putting Marvel and Monica Rambeau into the movie. So Marvel will have three Captain Marvels in the Captain Marvel movie. I don't know how you could possibly get any pettier than this. I don't think it's humanly possible. Because they kept publishing the Captain Marvel comics for years because Stan Lee wanted to keep that trademark. Mm-hmm. And they still have it. And now that they're making the movie, they'll have it forever. <laughs> forever. Forever. Meanwhile, over at DC, in 1971, Superman's sales started to decline. Carmine Infantino, who was the co-creator of the Barry Allen Silver Age Flash and was by 1971 DC Comics' publisher, he decided he had a bright idea of trying to bring in new characters to DC, and they decided they would license Captain Marvel from Fawcett because, hey, they can't publish it themselves. They legally can't do it, so we'll do it for them. So they went to Fawcett, and Fawcett struck a deal with them. Now, this is where the petty buys back. They were required to pay a certain fee. I don't know how much it was, but it was a fee per character per use. So every time they wrote a Shazam story, they count the characters in it, and they, they collect the check. And the reason why they called it Shazam instead of Captain Marvel is because, well, we just explained. Mar- Stanley and Marvel had that trademark, so they couldn't call it Captain Marvel or anything. So they decided to call it Shazam with the exclamation point. Because, you know, Shazam! That's, you know, the magic word. They tried to put a subtitle on it which said the original Captain Marvel in, like, smaller font. 
But Marvel sent him a cease and desist, like, nope, can't do that. Sorry. DC also found that not only could they not call the character Captain Marvel on the cover of the book, they couldn't use the name Captain Marvel or Marvel on any of the merchandise as well. So the toys, the action figures, T-shirts, caps, if you have any DC Shazam-related merchandise, it always says Shazam, even in the descriptions, on all like the writing and everything, it's only on the books and on the inside of the books. The only exception I've seen is I've seen a couple of Mary Marvel toys for sale on Amazon. But that's it. Everything else is Shazam, Shazam Jr., Mary Shazam, etc., so forth. If you guys look in the PDF, the first, well, actually the second half of the first DC Comics Captain Marvel story is in there from Shazam number one in February of 1973, which is used to explain where these characters were for 20 years. And incidentally, they got C.C. Beck to actually come back to draw these early stories. Yeah. He had to audition, though. Come on. He better audition like um, (laughs) Monique. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Like, I literally... like (laughs) (laughs) I created these characters. I drew them for for 12 years. Like, these are my brain children. (laughs) And you want me to audition? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, what did he do in the meantime? He had odd jobs here and there. He worked on The Fly for Archie Comics. He worked on a character named Fat Man, the human flying saucer with Otto Bender for an independent publisher. He had like he kept working, but not at the same capacity that the others did because they went to DC. He sort of kind of didn't want to go to DC for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and he, but he eventually made his way over there when they brought back Captain Marvel under the Shazam banner. So, in the comics, they explained that the Savannah family created a compound called Suspendium in which they could freeze time. Mm. And they abducted all of the Marvels and all of their supporting cast way back in the 50s, put them into a global Suspendium, and kept them there frozen in time. So that they can take over the world. But their rocket ship gets stuck in the globe too. So they all just basically get all stuck there for, for 20 years until it gets close enough to the sun that Captain Marvel could turn back to Billy Basson, sneak out, turn back to Captain Marvel, free everybody, and bring them back up back on down to Earth. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of issues deal with the fact that Billy Basson should be about 34. You know, he's way out of touch with all the rest of the teenagers his age and doesn't understand, you know, 70s long hair and things like that. But yeah, for the most part, they basically conveniently had kidnapped all of, you know, Talkie Tawny and Mr. Morris and Beauty and everybody came back just like they were in the old comics, even Uncle Dudley. And so they tried their best to keep publishing Captain Marvel like it had in their idea of what it was like back in the 50s. The problem was that they took it, they took what was, you know, comedic and turned it into just plain silly and stupid. Like the early stories, they're very, very childish to the point where CC Beck hated them. And he started like doing less and less and lower quality work in his art Mm -hmm. when he drew them. By issue number 10, he quit. 
And that was pretty much the end of him working in comics from that. From then forward, he just did comic cons and wrote long papers about how much DC sucked and how they ruined Captain Marvel and how they weren't shit and how the lawsuit didn't make any sense. He became like the most, like a curmudgeon basically who came to comic cons and talked big shit about DC comics. Within the DC universe, the original Shazam comics were said to have taken place on a world called Earth-S in the multiverse. The S, of course, for Shazam. They felt that putting them on the same Earth as Superman was like a fool's errand. More on that later. <laughs> and the comic book was not successful. It did not sell very well. After, about, after I think, 13 issues, they decided to turn it into a reprint book. Where they literally just got old faucet, like um black um you know like the black the black plates and just recolored them and published them, published those. Until the TV show took um went on the air. In 1974, CBS started airing Shazam, a live action half hour TV show produced by Filmation, their very first live action production. You know, Filmation did the Archies and Fat Albert and all like that. It starred Jackson Bostwick as Captain Marvel. And Michael Gray as Billy Batson. As opposed to the comics, the TV show featured Billy Batson riding around in an RV with his um, his guardian mentor, played by Les Tremaine. Uh, whenever trouble struck, uh, the Eternophone in the RV would ring, and the six elders, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, would call Billy up, say, you got to go here and stop this. Billy would say Shazam, turn to Captain Marvel, and stop whatever sort of kind of plight was going on. Uh, most of the things involved runaway children and natural disasters, no supervillains or anything like that. But it was popular. In season two, they added a, they turned it into the Shazam Isis Hour, and information created a companion character named Isis, who was a school teacher named Andrea... What was her? I keep thinking about Adriana, but it's it's um it's Andrea Thomas, who says the magic words "Almighty oh, Isis" and turns into a version of the Egyptian god Isis, with all her powers over nature and flight. During season two of Shazam, Jackson Boswick got fired, and they replaced him with a man named John Davies, who played the character during the rest of season two and and all of season three. And it got canceled after season three. And at that point, this was 1977. In 1978, Hanna-Barbera started developing uh, the challenge of the Super Friends, which you guys know now. The Justice League versus Legion of Doom, that cartoon. Mm -hmm. The original plan was to bring in Captain Marvel and have most of the Legion of Doom be Batman and Shazam villains with Savannah as the leader. Because that's what Alex Toff pitched to Hanna-Barbera at the time they were developing it. But they found they couldn't use any Shazam characters because Filmation's license gave them the rights to all of them. So they instead had to settle for Lex Luthor as the lead villain. In 1981, Filmation again used the Shazam characters in a series called The Kid Superpower Hour with Shazam where the second half hour was a half-hour animated version of Shazam with Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Uncle Marvel, Talkie Tawny, Savannah, Black Adam, all of them were basically there. Even Mr. Mind. Uh, they did it just like it was in the comics, with all the cheese intact and that low-budget filmation animation. It only ran for one season, though, on NBC between 1981 and 1982. 
Uh, meanwhile, the Shazam comic, once the show took off, the live action show, they decided to try to turn it into that show. So Billy Batson started riding around in the RV. Uncle Dudley grew a mustache like Les Tremaine. <laughs> 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 and they turned it into a facsimile of the show. That worked for as long as the show was on the air. Once the show got canceled, they had to figure out what to do. And so they hired a man named Don Newman to redesign the Marvel family as more realistic heroes because they were still trying to emulate the C.C. Beck style up until the late 70s. And it worked. Unfortunately, Jeanette Kahn had already decided to cancel Shazam. And so the rest of the Don Newton stories that were written by a man named E. Nelson Bridewell appeared in uh, World's Finest Comics between 1978 and 1982. So every issue, there will be a Shazam story in World's Finest Comics. In 1985, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which we've talked about before on the show, you know, DC decided to merge all... Yeah, the clean house merged all the multiverses into one DC universe, which meant that Captain Marvel and Superman were now existing on the same Earth. What do you do with that? Their initial decision was to put them on different coasts. So Superman lived in Metropolis on the East Coast. Captain Marvel would live in San Francisco on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And they reintroduced Captain Marvel and Billy Batson in a series called Legends in 1986 as part of the new Justice League. Mm-hmm. And he starred in the first six, seven issues of what became known as Justice League International with, you know, Guy Gardner and Fire and Ice and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, you know, the Boahaha. They, they really played him well as like the, like, oblivious Boy Scout. Yes. Like, and it, it was funny. I mean... It wasn't as um, it was entertaining because it was it was just like Captain Marvel was like the straight man. He wasn't as I guess I, I mean I'm not sure about the older comics of uh, the Captain Marvel slash Shazam, but it, it was more like he was like very kind of dopey in a very like all American type of way, very naive. Yeah. And they would pl- and like the other characters would play off of his naivety, making jokes that he wouldn't get. Yeah, especially Guy Gardner. Yeah, but he was still like a valued part of the team, which was interesting because let's face it, Captain Marvel was, you know, a powerhouse. So. Right. Because the reason the reason I think they put him in there is because they couldn't use Superman. Yeah. Because John Byrne wants Superman all to himself to do the reboot. Roy Thomas had come to DC in 1981. He was a writer. He had been the first editor-in-chief at Marvel who was not Stan Lee. But he really wanted to go to DC to write two books. Mm-hmm. Justice Society of America and Shazam. And so he had him write it into his contract that he would be able to do a Shazam book. He was going to do one with Don Newton before the crisis on Infinite Earths, but Don Newton actually died in 1984 before they could get working on it. And so Roy Thomas had to, um, he hired a man named Tom Mandrake to be his artist, and him and his wife, Dan Thomas, co wrote a miniseries, four issues, called Shazam! The New Beginning, which set up Billy Batson as this 15-year-old teenager living in San Francisco who, of course, you know, he meets the wizard and everything like that. But in this version, Uncle Dudley is his actual blood uncle, which helps. But so is Savannah. He's actually an uncle by marriage. Okay. 
who takes sort of the place of like the evil uncle um, Ebenezer, they call him, who threw Billy out in the original story. So Savannah throws Billy out. Billy runs to the um, subway and meets the wizard, gets his powers and everything like that. And Savannah is using his machines or, and whatever to try to access another dimension. What he ends up doing by accident is bringing Black Adam back from hell, where he had been banished by the wizard. I forgot, I should mention, they brought back Black Adam at DC in 1977, which, made, which was his second appearance any place ever. And he became sort of kind of like a B-level villain in, in the Shazam comics. Roy Thomas's use of him in Shazam in the beginning was sort of kind of the start of his prominence as like an A-list Shazam villain. The biggest change that was made to Captain Marvel after the Crisis on Infinite Earths was that for the first time and from here going forward, they depicted Captain Marvel and Billy Batson as having the same personality. So basically when Billy says Shazam, he becomes a child in an adult's body. Because Roy Thomas, this miniseries is reviled, apparently, by comic book readers. Because it's very, for Shazam comic, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. It's very 80s. It's very Watchmen, Dark Knight-ish. But it's not like, I mean, like, super, it's still a comic book about teenagers, you know. It's still, it doesn't go too deep into, you know, the darkness. But, you know, there's no... There's not a lot of smiles and stuff, and you know, and bunnies and shit, you know. But the depiction of Black Adam as sort of kind of, you know, this very cruel sort of, I'm smarter than you, I'm I'm royalty and everything, supervillain, is what makes the book really work at its best. And Roy Thomas also tried really hard to make Billy Batson a realistic 15-year-old kid from the 80s. Down to the terrible bowl haircut, which was popular back then. So, you know. <laughs> um, but the book sold well enough to where War Thomas was given the go-ahead to start writing a series in which he would have introduced uh Mary Marvel as not Billy's sister, but a girl that Billy would meet who would demand find out his secret and demand powers too. Mm-hmm. And Freddie Freeman was going to be a black kid who was going to be crippled by a neo-Captain Nazi. A Captain Nazi who was a neo-Nazi. However, they kept giving Roy Thomas the runaround on who they were going to hire to be his artist on this Shazam series. So 1987 came and went. 88 came and went. And I think like 13 people drew the first issue of Shazam number one over and over and over again. And it never got published. What Roy Thomas actually found out was that he says other people at DC were trying to force his hand to run out the clock on his exclusive option on Shazam character so they could do their own version. He didn't name names. However, once Roy Thomas was taken off the Shazam project and he basically quit DC and did independent stuff from then forward, John Byrne popped up and said, well, I'm doing it now. So I'm imagining that the name he didn't name was John Byrne because immediately afterwards, you know. But his version didn't get published either. John Byrne did write a Shazam reboot of his own. He started drawing it. Billy Batson and Mary were going to be street urchins. Black, um, Theo, what was it? It wasn't Theo. It was Adam Black was like the tough kid on the block. And they would all get powers basically and have to fight each other. But it never saw print. 
because he was doing this at the same time DC was doing a crossover called War of the Gods. Do you remember that, Ken? War of the Gods from early yep. 90s? And DC told John Byrne, we want to make sure you integrate this into the DC universe. This is not just like a solo, like a self-contained story. John Byrne said no, and he was taken off the project. So now we're at 1991. Um, at this point, DC has decided to finally pony up. They went to Fawcett and bought the rights to each and every Fawcett character. Not just the Marvels, but Bullet Man, Bullet Girl, it was the Invincible, Spy Smasher, Minute Man, all of them. Every single last one they paid for. So yeah. they could stop pay- paying per fee, per a fee per character per use, per book. And they assigned Jerry Ordway to do it. At the time, Jerry Ordway was the writer and sometimes the artist on Superman. He'd also done stuff on the Justice Society of America, Infinity Incorporated, all that stuff. Jerry Ordway uh, painted a 96-page graphic novel called The Power of Shazam, which basically he took the original 1939 origin story and basically added details to it. Is what he did. Like his or his version takes place in a Boston city that's sort of kind of out of time. It takes place in the modern day, but it's a modern day where everybody still wears hats and they still talk like you know Edward Edgar G. Robinson and stuff and all that sort of a thing. And so you know Billy Bassin goes to the subway tunnel. They explain this version that his parents were archaeologists who were trying to find. The tomb of Black Adam, they find it and get killed for it by their assistant, Theo Adam, who finds out he is the descendant of Black Adam. Who, and he finds that he can access Black Adam's powers by using this magic scarab he finds in the tomb. Uh, Jerry Orway was a fan of this movie serial, so he brought a lot of that movie serial stuff where Billy Besson works for an archaeology firm into his re- reboot. Um, they also explained that the weird, creepy man at the beginning that leads Billy into the subway station is the ghost of his father, which takes away the stranger danger part of it. Because this is the version I read, to be clear. <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, in the 30s that, you know, my God, stranger danger. Well, <laughs> at least now you know. Yeah, and knowing is half the battle. But yeah, the graphic novel was super popular. It won awards and stuff and sold very well. And so they gave Jerry Oway a series. And finally, in 1995, after eight years of trying, Captain Marvel had a series again called The Power of Shazam. Jerry Oway reintroduced Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., all the old Fawcett heroes, all the old Captain Marvel villains. Everybody showed up. And he integrated them into the DC universe as DC asked him to. So they were crossovers with the Flash, with Green Lantern. Um, Captain Marvel appeared as the villain in the Kingdom Come, the very popular Mark Way, Alex Ross miniseries. Where, you know, he's being mind controlled by Lex Luthor and he keeps saying Shazam over, over Superman and electrocuted him that way. Because Superman has the weakness to magic, of course. Following this, the Shazam characters appeared as regulars in the JSA comic, which was about the Justice Society of America. It was being written by James Robinson and then later David S. Goyer and Jeff Johns. This is where Jeff Johns became a popular writer on this series here. They introduced Black Adam as first an adversary and then as an anti-hero who actually cajoled the Justice Society to let him join. 
Mm. You know, explaining that he was just misunderstood. Of course, he wasn't misunderstood. He wanted to join so that he could recruit their younger members to help him take over his home country of Kandak back over adjacent to ancient Egypt in North Africa. So the Justice Society ends up fighting Black Adam in Kandak. They lose. Black Adam stays as the ruler of Kandak. And sort of kind of that's the setup from there forward that Black Adam rules this African nation over there. Shout out to Namor and or Black Panther. And he rules it very fiercely. So he's kind to his, you know, his subjects, I guess. But everybody else, he's brutal. He tears off limbs and everything and does public executions and such. That carries over into several series, the most prominent of which include the Infinite Crisis crossover in 2005 and the and DC's Maxi Series 52, which ran for one year weekly, so 52 issues from 2006 to 2007, where Black Adam was one of the lead characters. And he started his own Black Marvel family with his new wife that he met. Adriana Tomas, who became Isis, DC's version of Isis, and Isis's brother Osiris. Both Isis and Osiris are killed. Black Adam ends up killing millions of people in retaliation. And the entire DC universe fights Black Adam in an event that was connected to 52 called World War III. So as you can see, in the 2000s, it was Black Adam time. A lot of Black Adam, he basically became the Steve Urkel to Captain Marvel's Carl Winslow and took over the franchise during this period. After that, there was a miniseries, Black Adam in the Dark Age by Peter Tomasi and Doug Mankey. There was, you know, Osiris came back in Brightest Day and joined the Teen Titans. Billy, Mary, and Freddie were in a constant state of flux. We'll get into in a little while. But for right now, let's talk about Captain Marvel appearing in the DC animated universe. So... Way back in the 90s, when they were making Superman the Animated Series, the producers, Paul Dini and Bruce Timmons, they wanted to put Captain Marvel in an episode because, you know, their favorite thing to do with Captain Marvel in the comics was to have him fight Superman for whatever reason. Mind control, misunderstanding, just a bad Wednesday. Like, they would fight and see who would win. So they wanted to do an episode like that for the show, but they found they couldn't do it because in 1999... New Line Cinema bought the license on, on Shazam because they were working on a movie. That's how long the movie's been in development, you guys, since 1999. Yeah. So they couldn't do anything with the character. New Line finally relented in 2005. They said, okay, one episode. And they made that one episode of Justice League Unlimited called Clash. I'm sure you all have seen it. Captain Marvel joins the Justice League. He fights Superman, destroys the whole entire city. That was, has, was not populated yet, but, you know, still, they destroy a whole city. And then he quits. Although I think he's in, like, six episodes, there's two that have Captain Marvel as the main co-star of the episode. The first is The Power of Shazam. The second one is called The Malicious Mr. Mind. And the first one is just Captain Marvel and Batman versus Dr. Savannah and Black Adam. And the second is the whole Marvel family, Cap, Mary, and Junior, versus the Monster Society of Evil, Savannah, and Mr. Mind. Uh, he appears as a recurring character on Young Justice, which show that Ali is very familiar with. Yep. There's even an episode that I have not seen yet where he is, like, the important character. You want to tell us a little bit about that right quick? One of the, one of the main villains 
in the Young Justice show, he basically casts a spell that basically splits the world into two dimensions, one where all adults are in one and one where all the kids under the age of 18 are in another one. Oh, yeah, they based that on a comic book. Yeah, World Without yeah. Grown-Ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, so the key here, so that way the two words can communicate is to use Billy Batson because he can, be with transforming to Shazam, he'll basically travel between the two dimensions. Right. And assemble a team on both sides to to help beat you know the main the, you know the antagonist of that episode. So yeah, that's cool. Yep, they have some really funny scenes where he's he has to you know go um, back and forth, including a like a really funny scene where he's actually taking a plane, like a little one uh, one engine plane, with one of his friends who happens to be a girl. While he's hel- while he's in the in the passenger seat of the plane, she it's nighttime and she's like, oh, this all this crazy stuff is happening, man. <laughs> and just on my on my birth on on the night of my birthday, and he's like, oh, that's so fun. Wait a second, how old are you? He's like, I'm about to turn eighteen. And the moment the, t- the clock strikes midnight, she disappears, leaving him in the plane by himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hmm, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. Warner Brothers Animation also made, in 2010, they made a short film, I guess they call it, called Superman and Shazam, The Return of Black Adam. Not much, not much plot. Uh, Superman is interviewing Billy Batson because he's a homeless child. Uh, Black Adam comes back to Earth, tries to fight Superman. Billy Batson meets the wizard, gets his powers. They fight, they fight, they fight, and Billy finally they wins. Fight. They fight, they fight, and fight, and fight. Yeah. fight, 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 fight. <laughs> Yeah, there's really not much plot to it at all. Like, I was surprised the first time I saw it. I was like, they're just fighting. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the ranch at DC Comics, while Black Adam was ascendant, they decided to make drastic changes to the rest of the Marvel family. They had Judd Winnick write a miniseries called The Trials of Shazam, where in which... Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel both lost their powers. And Captain Marvel became the new wizard called Just Marvel in a white outfit with a cloak. He was forced to stay on the Rock of Eternity, so he had to draft Freddie Freeman, and oddly not his own sister, patriarchy, to become the new champion of magic who will be called Just Shazam while fighting a supervillain Ness named Sabina who looked like Beyonce. With white hair. Really? Yeah, she did. I mean, I, I actually felt bad that, you know, they did Beyonce like that. I mean, because she was very clearly modeled on Beyonce. Everybody Judd Winnick was writing that was a black woman was modeled off Beyonce at that time. Now, this miniseries had a decent setup, but unfortunately it didn't work. It was played by delays they changed over artists, but it took them two years to do a 12-issue miniseries, and the end result wasn't that good. So, And the other problem was that Judd Winnick had Mary Marvel lose her powers five miles up in the air so over an ocean. So she falls basically and breaks every bone in her body, and she's out of commission for that Trials of Shazam miniseries. Instead, Mary Marvel becomes one of the lead characters in a new year-long weekly DC Comics maxi-series called Countdown, in which she gains Black Adam's powers because Black Adam, after losing Isis for the second time, is distraught. 
and wants to basically retire, I guess, from villainy, question mark. He gives Mary his powers, and she becomes what people have variously called either Dark Mary Marvel or Black Mary Marvel, or just Black Mary to match Black Adam. Because she shows up with, a, um, and I showed, Ali, I showed you these these panels a week ago because you had never seen them before. But I'm sure Ken is way too familiar with uh, Black Mary Marvel. Yeah. With her leather outfit, her little tiny skirt, and her lace-up boots. Yeah, va 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 voom. I think the artists and writers might have forgotten that she is a child. They they also they're all they're probably I'm willing to guess that there are men that you want to keep your daughters away from. These yeah, and writers at this come because they aged the characters up a little bit because they wanted Billy to be the same age as Star Girl in the JSA so they could have a relationship. I, I that's. That that was an uncomfortable little storyline in JSA. When, that's why Captain Marvel had to quit the team because he Billy started dating Star Girl, which meant that while they were on missions, Captain Marvel was really nice to this teenage child, and um, the other teammates was like, um, "This don't look right. What's going on between y'all?" And rather than explain who he was, uh, Captain Marvel just quit the team. Hmm. Yeah. So Charles and Shazam didn't work. Uh, Dark Mary Marvel worked even less. Uh, Grant Morrison took it two steps further in a miniseries called Final Crisis in 2009, where she became possessed by one of the new gods, Desaad, one of uh, Darkseid's minions. And she had um, pink ponytails with a shaved head in between. Um, I think Cynthia's the doll Cynthia from um, Rugrats. Yes. That's how her hair was. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She she, she had um, a, <laughs> a tight terrible. leotard with, with, with a high leg. Oh, yeah, that's the one I out. saw. Yeah. She had, she had a Shazam letting the boat titty window. And six inch stiletto heels. Nah, that was a bay window, buddy. <laughs> but but the way but I can see why Grant Morrison did that as a farce. Like yeah. he had a like he did he wasn't just like he was making her dark. He was doing it over the top for a reason. Right to show how terrible of an idea it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, so that was him rebelling. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I because I, I I know when they did it, Jerry Orway, even though he didn't work with the characters anymore, he was very very angry about the whole Doc Mary Marvel thing. Because he mentioned how he was writing the books in the 90s. He had, you know, write a first refusal for any, you know, crossover stuff. Um, The first time that Mary appeared outside of the Shazam comics in the 90s was in a Supergirl crossover called Supergirl Plus. And the story involves her, involves Mary Bromfield being molested by a um, a mall security guard. And then turning to Mary Marvel and beating him to a pulp, and then have and then having to like defend her her actions. Basically, you never read that story, no. Yeah, and and Jerry Orway had a lot of problems with that story because you know I wonder why. Yeah, because like if if we read the story, it's like it's you know he said she said, but it becomes clear at the end that this man may have touched this girl inappropriately. And so I mean it's so it's 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 a little bit of a lot. A little bit of a lot. And even like there was like a mini series in the mid 2000s called I Can't Believe. What no, not that's the sequel. What was it called? Formerly known as the Justice League? 
Yeah. yeah. Formerly known as the Justice League, where Mary, the old Justice League International gets back together. Mary joins in Billy's place because Billy's like, I'm not going back over there. They hated me and I hated them. So Mary's like, I'll go. <laughs> and so she takes like his role as like the, the, the doofy, you know, out of time Pollyanna character. Mm-hmm. And there's like a... a sequence in the sequel where they go to an alternate world where she has on that black outfit. That's where the black outfit came from. It's from that story. Jerry Orway, in fact, got with uh, Jeff Johns in some of the, uh, and then a JSA, a Justice Society of America storyline, because they changed the name of the book. They basically undid all that stuff and left Billy and Mary powerless. I mean, the reason that it didn't work, they tried to avoid the things that made the character popular, the humor stuff and the kid stuff. Which, because, you know, this was the 2000s, you know, every book was dark and adult and there was blood and guts and shit. I understand why they did it, but, you know, either go for it or don't. You sort of kind of can't change Shazam around like that. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. That's also why they made Black Adam when they made Black Adam. You remember Peter, Peter Tomasi did a miniseries on Black Adam called Black Adam the Dark Age in 2007. And Black Adam decapitates people. There's like limbs being cut off. There's all sorts of blood and guts. He eats somebody in the first issue. Like, there's a lot going on there. But it works because he's Black Adam. It wouldn't work with Billy Batson and Mary Batson and Freddie Freeman. Uh, In 2007, Jeff Smith, who created Bone. Ali, do you know Bone? Bone, 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 Bone. I have seen Bone in comic book shelves, but I don't know about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bone's super popular. You know, it's, it's cartoony. And Jeff Smith really wanted to do like a traditional Captain Marvel Shazam storyline. And so DC let him do it. When he did it, he wanted in his contract that it was going to be canon. But DC found a way around that by relegating it to the junior line, uh, what they call it, Johnny DC, like the kid comics. Mm-hmm. And so it exists in continuity over there. But he over did, there. yeah, he did four issues. He won awards and stuff for it. It's, you know, very well done. You know, it's done like in like a updated, but still cartoony version of that old classic um, Fawcett Comics um, setup. His Billy Bass and the Captain Marvel are two different people. And they made a series called Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam that ran for two years, 2008, 2010. They had various artists and writers on it. Mike Kunkel was the first. And they did, you know, their own, like, kid-friendly version of the original sort of kind of setup, basically. 2011. Because this is where you get into the new shit now. In 2011... DC Comics published a seven-pit issue miniseries called Flashpoint. You've heard of it before because the show tried to um, adapt it, the Flash show, and they failed miserably. But in the comic book version, Barry Allen goes back in the past, stops his mother from being killed by the reverse Flash, and basically fucks up time. And his alternate timeline, he has no powers. Batman's dad is Batman. And in this version... It was not just one kid, Billy, who went on that subway car ride. It was six kids, Billy, his sister Mary, Freddie Freeman, and then three new kids, an Asian kid named Eugene, a Mexican kid named Pedro, and a black girl named Darla. I thought you said that, um, I thought you said that eventually people would learn to not, um, to recognize the signs of uh, somebody trying to lead them down the wrong path. I don't know. I don't know if there is a creepy old man's in this version. All we all we are told is that they were all in the subway car. 
That's all we were told. I think we're left to assume they were like riding somewhere with purpose and then it just turned into a magic subway car and they got shuttled someplace. At any rate, they all have lightning bolt necklaces and they all, it's, it's very Captain Planety. They all say Shazam together and become one hero, Captain Thunder. And their pet tiger, Tawny, becomes like a battle cat type tiger. Jeff Johns wrote Flashpoint himself, and he used it to sort of kind of try out these new characters who he would bring in because after Flashpoint was over, DC did what they called the New 52, where they reset the entire everything from scratch and started every book from number one and redid every character. And so they decided to redo Shazam as well. And this was the point where they decided officially, okay, we've had enough with this Captain Marvel thing. We can't put the name on the, on the front cover, the back cover, the side cover, any place. Let's just call him Shazam. So we don't have to worry about Marvel sending no nasty letters our way. And so they put um, the new Shazam origin in the backups of the Justice League book from issue number seven to issue number 21. Issues zero and 21 are just Shazam issues. But otherwise, it was like seven-page backups after you read about Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman being terrible um, 20-year-olds. So Jeff Johns was the writer of the New Shazam, New 52 origin story, and Gary Frank did the artwork for it. Gary Frank later went on to say that doing Shazam was his favorite thing that he had ever done for DC up until the thing that he's currently doing as of this recording, which is the maxi-series Doomsday Clock, with again, with Jeff Johns as the writer. But that's another story for another conversation, basically. But in this origin story, Billy Batson is an orphan child living at an orphanage. This couple, uh, Victor and Rosa Vasquez, come to visit him because they're thinking about adopt, like um, becoming his foster parents. They decide to because Billy's like a nice kid. He reads, he podcasts, he helps around the house. He's just a perfect little boy. So they're going to adopt him and bring him home because they already have some teenagers in their house already. And, they can, and another one could fit right in. But it turns out. Billy was putting on an act. In reality, he's he's the problem child. He's a drug dealer. He's not a drug No, no, no. He's just sort of standoffish and sort of kind of rude, basically. And it comes okay. out when he goes to the house and meets his new foster siblings, uh, Mary Bromfield, Freddie Freeman, Eugene Choi, Pedro Pena, and Darla Dudley. Because Darla's, you know, they, they tell him, like, the family rules. is like, and Darla's like, yeah, that's the family way. And Billy's like, we aren't family. None of us are family, okay? You go your way, I go mine. Makes the girl cry. Mary basically, basically throws him to the floor. And is like, the fuck was that? <laughs> this is some aggressive shit. <laughs> but basically, Billy doesn't fit in with his new foster family. He doesn't fit in with them at school. Although... He notices that they're being bullied by these these kids, the Briar Boys, and he goes and he saves them from them. So he's not bad. He's just standoffish and sort of kind of like basically he's been he's an abused foster child. He's been like multiple foster homes, some of them good, some of them far less than good. And so he's sort of kind of closed himself off from people. At some point, he does become Freddie's friend, and while he's trying to help Freddie pull a prank on the on the on the bullies who bullied the kids at school. He has to escape from the bullies. He runs to the subway, meets the wizard, who is now black, and, <laughs> and gets the powers. 
because the wizard's been randomly abducting people because Black Adam escaped from his his um tomb. And so he's been randomly abducting people, you know, people going to the elevator, the subway, downstairs at the house, end up at the Rock of Eternity where the wizard lives. The wizard's like, you're not good enough for Citizen of Bad because the wizard is looking for a perfectly good person, pure of heart. And he finds that every single last person he's seen for the last thousands of years is imperfect. And Billy's like, well, that's your problem. Nobody's perfectly good. Good, good people just disappear. That like the world brings them down to their level, to it, to its level. And so the wizard realizes he should, be, he should be looking for people with the potential to be good, which Billy has. Gives him the powers. He says Shazam, and becomes Shazam. In this version, Billy only changes back and forth if and when he wants to. When he says the word, so he can introduce himself. He can explain his powers. But he can only change back and forth when he says the word and wills the change. He can also, he finds, say Shazam to cast spells and, Ali, to shoot lightning bolts out of his hands. I see. Yeah. And so basically, you know, he runs to the Black Adam and Dr. Savannah and the Seven Sins from the, um, who aren't at the rock in this version. They're just out in the world under a hypnosis spell that Black Adam breaks to make them all, you know, come back and start attacking people. And he ends up over his head and he's forced to transform his foster siblings into the Shazam family, who you can see in the Trello. And they fight. Um, he gets Black Adam. He tricks him to turning back into him, um, his um, regular form. Turns into a pile of dust. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And that's how he wins. And in the process, Billy Bats and this, you know, jaded foster kid learns the power of friendship and family and how hurt people hurt people and how to, how to break the cycle, et cetera, so forth. And so by the end, he's happy. He's smiling. He loves his foster family. And he's never going to leave or try to run away like he had thought about. Isn't that a cute story? Uh, okay. It better not show up in that movie. Why not? Uh, no. Trust me, you don't want this to be in a movie. Why not? Brandon, come on. Be serious. No, I am serious. No, this is not going to work. That's not, that's, that's not strong enough for the movie. Ooh, Reggie will say. Rest in peace, Reggie will say. Um, so the problem is that's literally the story they're adapting for the movie. What? Yeah. No, not the not the end part. Like the beginning part is fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the end part right there, where you just was like, "It's not a nice story," no. Well, well, where he he learns the lesson of family and stuff. It's not like he turns to the camera and is like, "I have learned the lesson of family." He did. They didn't do it that way. Well, whatever. They're going to come with a hopefully with the what's his name who keeps on posting too much on Instagram. Oh, David Sandberg, the director. But yeah, so that's the new origin story. After that origin story, Shazam joined the Justice League, and he was in there from from 2014 to 2016. Um, He appeared in the Injustice uh, video games and comic book series that related to it, which is where most people know him from, because people don't read comics anymore. All they do is play games. Meanwhile, there was two versions of Shazam that take place on alternate Earths, like two, like... um, one one shot by Grant Morrison, and then a two issue miniseries by Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner, 
where, you know, they take place in like versions of that old classic Fawcett style Captain Marvel world where he's still called Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Savannah, Savannah family, et cetera, so forth. For those who found the reboot distasteful, and there were plenty of people who basically, basically read the first issue and were done when they saw Billy Bass and cuss out his um, his social worker. <laughs> uh, they enjoyed those a lot better. At current, they're waiting to do a reboot of Shazam. They're waiting on, I, I think there's supposed to be apparently some sort of writer-artist team who basically um, got the rights to it. For just for themselves, and they're waiting for them to become free before they actually do this, do the um, the next book that they want to do. So that is all the comic stuff, and then outside the comics, the new version of Shazam has appeared here and there. There's three DC Nation shorts online. They produce these to run in between T Titans Go and the Cartoon Network. Um, one is called Wisdom, one's called Courage, the other one's called Stamina. They're like two-minute cartoons that feature Billy Batson fighting his supervillains. They're very fun. They're drawn like Popeye the Sailor cartoons. Hmm. Um, they're on YouTube. You can watch the whole things. They're fun. Um, the Courage one involves Billy Batson turning into Shazam to go to a R-rated movie. <laughs> Getting scared out of his mind anyway. Uh, he appears, of course, in those Justice League movies, uh, Justice League War and Justice League Throne on a Throne of Atlantis, which are adapted from the Justice League comics. You know, the new versions with him and Cyborg as like, you know, like the little bro bromance team within the team. And he currently appears now as a recurring character on Justice League action. They even had an episode where they brought in Uncle Dudley and the RV, which don't exist in this universe anymore, but you can't stop. 40-year-old um, comic book fans are bringing in that old shit into the into the cartoons or the, or the TV show sometimes. All right, so... Now there's a goddamn movie. As I mentioned before, they started working on the shit back, way back in 1999. They've had plenty of versions of it ever since then. Uh, John August, who is the co-host of the Script Notes podcast... He wrote a version in, in 2007, and this was when they cast uh, Dwayne DeRock Johnson to play Black Adam. They wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to play Captain Marvel at the time, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. What happened was that— <laughs> They wanted Donnie Darko to— <laughs> Donnie Darko. I'm sorry. <laughs> what happened was that Speed Racer okay. came out the next year, in 2008— and it flopped. And The Dark Knight came out, and it was a success. And so they tried to turn Shazam into The Dark Knight, which, as anybody can tell you, is a fool's errand. So the project basically went on the black, on the black burner. Black Adam. It went on the back burner until the DCEU concept came up, and they decided to put the movie back into development. They recast Dwayne Johnson to play Black Adam. Because they gave him the choice between playing Black Adam and playing Shazam, he chose Black Adam inside to play Shazam inside of a Jumanji movie instead. Uh, <laughs> they hired David Sandberg, the director of Lights Out and Annabelle Creation, to direct the movie. Uh, as Ali has mentioned, he is very active on his Twitter and his Instagram. Uh, apparently, I have learned he likes Maltese's candies and 
a lot of Coat Zero. <laughs> that man is trying to get stalkers. <laughs> I've seen some of his, his, his posts, and I'm just like, bruh, <laughs> like, we are learning so much about you. Yeah, he, he enjoys cussing out people on the internet. Don't fuck with him. Pony Smasher. <laughs> yeah, that's his, that's his ad, Pony Smasher. In early 2017, they decided to pull Dwayne Johnson out of the movie and Black Adam out as well. So instead, Shazam's going to fight Dr. Savannah. The reason why they pulled out Black Adams was because they were trying to make Shazam and Black Adam both, you know, the lead characters of the same movie. It didn't work. It didn't fit. You know, Dwayne Johnson wanted to be, have a starring role in the movie. So they're going to make a Black Adam movie separate from the Shazam movie. Good luck with that. And so Henry Gaiden, who liked the tweet of mine, uh, was hired to do the new draft of the script. He's still the screenwriter now. They started casting in mid-2017. Every white child in Hollywood showed up at Warner Brothers um, Productions to audition to play either Billy Batson or Freddie Freeman. They looked, they screen tested the following actors to play Shazam. I'll read this list backwards on purpose. Alan Richardson, who was the one that Ken wanted to get the part, he did a good one. Derek Theller, who I think is now going to be in, he's going to be in Marvel's New Warriors as somebody, if I recall properly. Um, Joshua Sasse, who was the star of No Tomorrow. And John Cena, who was the one the internet wanted because he looked like Captain Marvel or Shazam and for no other reason. And to be frank, he doesn't even look like Captain Marvel or Shazam. Maybe the Young Justice version, I guess, but, you know, not anything C.C. Beck ever drew. I also feel like as if his personality on off of the wrestling ring is like a big kid. <laughs> yeah, but... Like he would play a really good... I feel like as if he would... He's very believable as a man that has a little kid uh, mind. Personality. But here's my problem. I've seen him in Trainwreck. Because the whole thing was going down, somebody sent me like the scenes of his when he's in Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. That man can't act. Bless his heart, but he can't act. Listen. (laughs) Listen. Dave Batista. nobody thought he could do... um, But that's different. He, he he did Drex. Like, he, he wasn't the best actor, but he pulled it off. I've seen him, I've seen John Cena on film in a film that came out and was released. Okay. But He's not an actor. Get any, how are you supposed to get any practice if you don't get roles? Is what I don't understand. You gotta get, you gotta get do some indie shit, bro. You gotta, you gotta. Community some, theater. Community theater. That's exactly. But no, but, and when you're talking about uh, Drax, I mean, Dave Batista, he was not good at, I mean, he was not a great actor in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. He up, stepped up his game for the uh, second in the in the sequel, and then I didn't even know that was him in Blade Runner twenty uh, forty nine. Yeah, in the first scene where he, where he fights. Um, oh, I knew um, that was him. That guy is Ryan too Gosling. big. <laughs> you are way too tall and you were way too big. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so at any rate, they settled on Zachary Levi to play Shazam. And so, like, y'all know I've been in arguments with, like, you know, the, the what I call the Captain Marvel truthers, people who hate the New 52 reboot, hate the new Shazam kids, halfway because they're racist, um, and all of that. This was the only thing we agreed upon. Zachary Levi is a great choice. He can act. 
he can act like a big kid, but he can also match. He acts must be able to match his acting with another actor, so they can be the same person, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he hasn't had a lot of film experience. He starred mostly on TV as you know Chuck, and he does the voice of Flynn Rider for Tangled and Tangled the series. He was nominated for a Tony though last year. So I mean, he's you know he's also a, a theater actor as well. And also, he's a nerd himself. He understands the character he's playing. He probably knows more about Shazam than anybody else on that set. Hmm. And he he better make good on 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 this thing because you're out here. You're you're really standing for him. So I hope he makes you proud. I hope so too. I mean, I I, I really liked Flynn Rider in Tangled primarily because of the voice. So. Hopefully he can bring some of that to this movie. Um, they cast Asher Angel, his parents named him that, bless their hearts, um, as Billy Batson. <laughs> He's the co-star of the show Andy Mac on the Disney Channel, which is basically um, preteen Negrassi. True. Um, he he apparently is good because he beat out every other white child in Hollywood for this part. So. Uh, we'll see what he does. Uh, Mark Strong, who played Sinestro in the Green Lantern movie, and he's the villain in... Is he in both Kingsman movies, Ken, or just the second one? Which Yes, he's in both. Okay. Yeah, he played the villain in both Kingsman movies. He's playing Dr. Savannah. And he's playing the Doofy 2 version where he starts out as a normal-looking person, and then because of the storyline... Becomes the stooped over, uh, overbite <laughs> version. Ron Cephas Jones, the man who made me cry every week on the first season of This Is Us, was supposed to be playing the wizard Shazam, but he had scheduling conflicts. So instead, during production, very quiet like, he was replaced with Jaiman Hansu. Now, and of course, in the New 52 comics, the wizard is, well, some people think he's Aboriginal. Some people think he's Black. The text says that he was born in Kandak. Kandak is in Africa. And the internet had a little bit of a fit when Jaiman Hansu was cast, the man who starred in Amistad, who Blood Diamond, and of course, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Koraft. And in Captain Marvel, coming out a couple of weeks before this movie did. So he's catching two checks. Good for him. Um, Jack Dylan Grazer, who is one of the kids in It, is playing Freddie Freeman. Incidentally, a video of him smoking some weed leaked on the internet last week, apparently. And some people are apparently... He's 14. Is that is that acceptable? Is that is that cool? I think they were in Canada. I think isn't it legal up there? I don't know how old you gotta be, but I have no idea. How does Canada work? <laughs> how does Canada work? <laughs> <laughs> Grace Fulton from Annabelle Creation, also directed by David Sandberg, is playing Mary Bromfield. I'm guessing that her they they tested him her and Asher together because she's you know she has to be believable as the long lost sister. Ian Chin, who is the younger brother on Fresh Off the Boat, is playing Eugene. Jovan Ar- Armin, I think I got his name right, is playing Pedro. And Faith Herman, who plays little Annie Pearson, the younger daughter on This Is Us, along with Ron Cephas Jones, is playing Darla Dudley. 
And they've also cast Cooper Andrews from The Walking Dead as Victor Vasquez. Marta Milans is playing Rose um, Vasquez. And David David Jake McNeil is playing Mr. Byer, who's like the evil guy whose kids bully the Shazam kids. Hmm. And filming begins next Monday. Zachary Levi already shared a picture of him in the uh, makeup and prosthetic chair. They didn't show what he looks like just from like the you know like him in the chair from the neck down. Okay. And so, good luck to them, because between between this and um, Jason Momoa in um, Swimming in Jeans, this is all we have left. <laughs> this DC fan. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, now, I'm sure we'll do an Aquaman show. We'll definitely do an Aquaman show later because I want to. I want to read more about Black Manta and his origin story. But I'm hoping Aquaman is gonna be good. I don't have any reason to think it wouldn't be good. And I mean, they have a whole Besides year to fix him it. Looking like Janet Jackson and, um, and why did I get married too? <laughs> and then besides, and besides the 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 resume so far of of these these movies. The Shazam thing is a little bit different because they've been working on it for literally forever. So they already have... I mean, Wonder Woman 2 is... That might be why Wonder Woman worked too because they've been working on that movie for like 20 years as well. You know, so they already have plan in place for those. So it might be able to escape like, you know, like the... And Zack Snyder's nowhere near this movie, so. Mm. But yeah, good luck to them. And that is our show. If you would like to read more about Shazam or Captain Marvel, I'd recommend getting Shazam Volume 1, The New 52 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Uh, you might also want to check out uh, the JSA Black Rain trade paperback by Jeff Johns. And I think Keith Champagne was the artist, if I recall properly. That gives you some of that, like, that Black Adam action of him taking over Kondok. Uh, Shazam! The Power of Hope is an oversized... It's not a comic. It's more of a... It's like a comic crossed with like a storybook <coughs> written by Paul Dini, who, of course, produced the Batman cartoons and painted by Alex Ross. It makes for a really good gift for like kids and things. It's basically a story about Captain Marvel going to a hospital and basically being his own Make-A-Wish Foundation for all the kids. And then, of course, The Power of Shazam by Jerry Ordway from 1994 is still in print. There is a 400-page collection called Shazam, a celebration of 75 years that is out as well From that takes stories from all of the characters' history. And that is it. Once again, you can find us at SSMPodcast.com. You can find us on all social media under the handle at SSMPodcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. Email us at podcast at ssmpodcast.com. And if you would like to donate to the show, you can do so by going to ssmpodcast.com slash donate. This has been the States of the Nights podcast. I am Brandon. And this is Ali. And I am Rick Jones. <laughs> we'll see Rick, Jones. Rick Jones is a character in Marvel Comics. He originally was psychic to the Hulk. When they brought Captain Marvel into the Marvel Universe, there of Captain Marvel, Marvel, Rick Jones suddenly got a hold of some magic bracelets that would let him trade places with Captain Marvel. So they literally basically got petty with DC and, oh, look. 
Here's a teenage boy who turns into Captain Marvel. Ha ha, motherfucking ha. That is, I mean, what is with these two companies? <laughs> wow. It's no wonder the fans are so like an, um, fierce against each other like that. It's, yeah. Wow. A lot of animosity. All right. Good night, y'all. Goodbye. Captain Marvel. Wiz Comics proudly presents the world's mightiest man, powerful champion of justice, relentless enemy of evil, Captain Marvel. Mustering his courage, the boy enters an ancient underground hall, carved out of solid rock, grotesquely lighted by flaming torches. The seven deadly enemies of man. Pride, envy, greed, hatred, selfishness, laziness, injustice. Welcome, Billy Batson. An old, old man sitting on a marble throne at the far end of the cavern speaks as they approach. How do you know my name? I know everything. I am Shazam! A huge black cloud, a blinding light flash, a deafening peal of thunder form out of nowhere as the old man speaks his name. Simultaneously, a curious inscription explaining Shazam's name appears magically on the wall. Solomon Wisdom, Hercules Strength, Atlas Zeus Power, Achilles Courage, Mercury Speed. Once again, Shazam speaks. For 3,000 years, I have used the wisdom, strength, stamina, power, courage, and speed the gods have given me to battle the forces of evil, which every day threaten to extinguish man from the face of the earth. 3,000 years? Yes, son. And during that time, I have seen everything, known everything, that happened throughout the world, from the highest to the lowest. The Historama. Miraculously, the Historama, a super television screen capable of depicting past, present, and future events, flashes scenes from Billy's life. Through this Historama, I have watched you from the moment you were born, Billy. On this screen, I saw your wicked uncle drive you from his house to make your own way in the world after your parents died, leaving you in his care. I know that he got rid of you in order to get possession of the money and bonds your father willed to you. Directly above Shazam's head, a massive granite block weighing tons hangs from a slender, frayed thread. If the thread broke, the granite would crush the old man to powder, and the thread is almost worn through. All my life, I have fought injustice and cruelty. But I am old now. My time is almost up. You shall be my successor. Merely by speaking my name, you can become the strongest and mightiest man in the world. Captain Marvel, speak my name. Shazam! As Billy speaks the magic word, he becomes Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, I salute you. Henceforth, it shall be your sacred duty to defend the poor and helpless, right wrongs, and crush evil everywhere. Yes, sire. To become Billy Batson again, also speak my name. And now I must go. Captain Marvel, speak my name. Shazam! Through the blinding flash of the lightning bolt, Captain Marvel sees the granite block falling on Shazam. A moment later, Billy finds himself standing at his old post. Shazam, Captain Marvel, and the weird underground cavern have vanished. Gee, it all seems like a dream. 
And that was our episode on the history of Shazam. This is an epilogue, of course, to update everything. Since this episode was recorded, of course, David F. Sandberg, the director, Peter Safran, the producer, and a whole cast of characters went off into the cold winter of Toronto last year and filmed an entire Shazam movie, plus a couple of reshoots around Christmas time of 2018, including a couple of days in Philadelphia where the film is actually set so that we can get some backgrounds and things comped in so it looks like Philadelphia. And they've made a movie. So far, they have released two trailers and a half a trailer. I understand the second trailer. What first trailer came out at San Diego Comic-Con. We talked about that in a previous episode. It got a, for the most part, a positive reception. People, I think, were kind of thrown off because of how comedic the first trailer was. You know, we've got Zachary Levi in the Shazam costume, flossing and everything. The Shazam costume is really super bright and colorful. You know, people have gone back and forth about, you know, the padding. Take a good look at some of those Batman Superman costumes from over the years, except for Christopher Reeves's, if you're worrying about padding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and also, you know, how does it fit into the DCEU, which actually isn't much of a thing anymore. They're just making movies based on DC characters. And all that, you know, the internet, the sort of the nerd internet's been really, really, really doing a lot with the movie. And also the fact that the trailers, neither the first one nor the second one, which came, which was delayed by, I think, three months because the original edit of it got leaked to the internet and to people's DMs. So for whatever reason, New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers sat on it and made a new one that came out in March, six weeks or four weeks, five weeks. Five weeks before the movie was due to be released. And neither trailer really tells you what the movie... Well, they tell you what they want you to think about the movie, but even though I haven't seen it yet, I know the comic that it's being based on, and I've sort of kind of against, you know, my friend's wishes. I read the first couple of pages of the novelization of the movie, and there's a lot that they are not showing you in those trailers. And the funny thing is that people, I think, are going in not knowing what to expect because they've also started preview screenings, like for press and for the like lucky people who get to win uh, tickets in the public. I signed up, didn't get to win, unfortunately. And of all people, Cooper Andrews came to the Atlanta screening, and I didn't get to meet him. Darn it! Uh, but this movie has gotten almost universal acclaim. I have not read a bad review of it. The worst review was that it was okay, that it was sort of kind of good. Most of the reviews have been raves. There's the best DC-based movie since Wonder Woman. Some say it's the best one since The Dark Knight, which is, you know, a lot. And I'm trying not to get hyped because I don't want to go in and not enjoy it myself. You know, it's just, it's so funny that, you know, after reading these comics, Shazam comics for all of these years and nobody really knowing what the comics or the characters is about, it's possible it might be a popular movie. Well, or it may not be because I don't know if it's because of the whole AT&T purchase, you know, the drama with Kevin Tushihara as I'm recording this, who just had to step down as CEO of Warner Brothers. But the marketing has been kind of anemic for Shazam compared to 
what they did for Aquaman or for the other movies. Maybe they have budget cuts. I don't know. Maybe they don't expect the movie to make a lot of money. The budget on Shazam is only estimated to be $90 million as opposed to the usual $150, $200, or whatever. It's definitely the cheapest movie of the quote-unquote DCEU, but it's also kind of in line with how much money New Line Cinema movies tend to be produced for when they don't star Dwayne Johnson, who is not in Shazam, but is a executive producer on Shazam because he was supposed to play Black Adam. Black Adam's not in the movie. Thank God. Uh, Dr. Savannah is the villain instead. And they are still supposed to be making a Black Adam movie sometime date this year, next year. Who knows? I just hope that he's evil in it when they make it and not, you know, just Billy Batson, but a little bit meaner. I want a Black Adam who is a complex villain who wants to do the right thing, but just has that psychological tick that won't let him. I don't want Wolverine Black Adam as some people have tried to write him. When Jeff Johns wrote Black Adam, the trick to what he was he was writing was that Black Adam is a supervillain trying to do the right trying to do the right thing, but his nature just won't let him, or his circumstances just won't let him. He's not Namor, I guess. To sort of kind of Namor is more, even though Namor is an antihero, he's definitely a villain in the Fantastic Four comics. Some of them, at least, Namor has more honor, and is a little bit less murdery than Black Adam. <laughs> At least that's how it's supposed to be. Who knows what they'll do? You know, Dwayne Johnson doesn't like to play mean characters, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, so... And also, the trailers and the ad, they just started cutting ads this week that show more of the kids. Uh, you know, the rest of the kids. Uh, Grace Fulton and Ian Chin and Faith Herman, who people are saying is like a breakout in the movie, and I'm very happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that. And Jovan Armando, who, of course, they play Mary, Eugene, Darla, and Pedro. Most of the marketing has been focused on Asher Angel, Zach Reliva, and Jack Dylan Grazer, who play, of course, Billy Batson, Shazam, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, and Freddie Freeman. Mark Strong sort of kind of wandered in as the press tour started kicking off. And, of course, they brought, you know, David F. Sandberg, a.k.a. Pony Smasher, along at all points. He's actually done a better job of marketing this picture than the people who are paid to market it, you know, with a whole lot of funny tweets and Instagram posts that get a lot of attention and sort of kind of show that he has, you know, a wonderfully offbeat sense of humor that is perfect for the Shazam property. But yeah, so that was our episode. It's coming out before the movie does. Hopefully the movie is everything everybody says it is and everything that I wanted it to be since I was Billy Batson's age and thought this, I remember actually reading, you know, the Shazam graphic novel by Jerry Orway, The Power of Shazam, and thinking this would be an awesome movie, but they would never make this because he's not Superman. Well, here we are. They've made it. Hopefully I enjoy it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully this podcast has you know, been enlightening and informative for you. If you have enjoyed it, please, by all means, go to SSMPodcast.com and find more of our shows. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Acast, and tune in. You can find us on all social media under the handle at SSMPodcast. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Say Something Nice Podcast. I am Brandon, and we will see you next time.